Hello and welcome to this creative writing podcast. I'm your host, Foos Brilp. And on today's episode is 251. We're gonna we have a lot of stuff to unpack. All right, this is really junky, Turdman. <laughs> hey, welcome to June, the middle of the year. We do have a lot to unpack on this episode, so I hope I can get to it all. And I'm in the garage staring at a few things that I would like to be wrapping up rather than podcasting right now. So let's get as far as we can in this week's show, and uh, let's kick it off right now. You're listening to, well, I could be your host, Foos Brilp, on this creative writing podcast, but I'm not. Sit back, relax, pop a tea, enjoy, enjoy the go. Moto One Podcast Network. You're listening to Creative Writing, the podcast that's like that missing 10 millimeter, but you kind of wish you never found it. Somehow you did, and like our supporters on Patreon, you too can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creative writing. While you're at it, head over to our Zazzle store and check out our merch there by searching Creative Writing Podcast. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere else except for TikTok and Ding Dong, because we ain't going to go there, but on Twitter we are. And Tumblr, thanks, bye. Hey there, listeners. This is Patreon subscriber Narissa coming to you from inside my helmet in the land of beer and cheese, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You're listening to the Creative Writing Podcast because you're obviously ridiculously good looking. All right, all right, everybody. Welcome to episode 251 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle. Uh, Creative Writing Motorcycle Independent Podcast. I thought I'd throw that in there. That's, uh, whatever. Anyways, hey, thank you, Narissa, for the shout-out. Um, I wonder how many Patreon subscribers hear this and like, oh, yeah, like, I still subscribe to that crap, and uh, I'm wasting a dollar a month, like $12 a year. I could buy two lattes extra every year for the amount of money that I subscribe. And actually, I think Narissa is uh, much more than that. So thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Please don't unsubscribe <laughs> now that you got reminded. But obviously, you are very good looking, and I want to point uh, out that Narissa makes a good point. There are no ugly people that listen to Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. If you're looking at yourself like me every morning and the either A, like me, you don't show up in the mirror half the time. I don't know what it is. I don't show up on camera, but in the mirror I do. Trust me. It's not a side I want to see. Um, but if you do look in the mirror and uh, you feel like, hey, I look like crap today, or you're having a bad hair day, or you just don't think you're that handsome or beautiful of a person, look in the mirror, start listening to this podcast, and watch the immediate change that overcomes your body. Because whether you're one pound or 1,000 pounds, whether you're zero months pregnant or nine and a half months pregnant and you're way overdue, whether you are already the most beautiful person in the world or the person that was voted the ugliest person in the high school yearbook, which I don't think they do that anymore. That's something they kind of quit doing in the 1840s. You're going to become this beautiful, beautiful person. You're also going to hear a lot about motorcycles and a lot about some ridiculousness. So I just want to tell you, start start listening to the show, whether in your mind you're ugly or whether in real life you're a hideous uh, sight to see. Even myself, once once she, she threw that bumper out there and I started listening, I was like, oh, yeah, guess what? Things are bright. 
I am beautiful, and gosh darn it, people like you. Just say that in the mirror every day, <laughs> and you'll start believing it, ugly. <laughs> JK. Hey, welcome. This is uh, Creative Writing. We had a little disclaimer at the top of the show, which will hopefully erase that last 30 seconds there. The views and opinions of the participants of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast, including this stupid host, are those of the participants and do not reflect the policy, position, opinions of Creative Writing, the Moto One Podcast Network, any of our sister podcasts or affiliates, and the opinion is the respective participants, which is also the host, and is not intended to malign anyone or anything, including FJ09 riders. All right. With that being said, let's jump into this week's show. Uh, sorry for the loud clap there. I, I realized a couple episodes that I do that a lot, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I'm going to try to quit clapping and clicking my pen and all that fun stuff that I didn't realize these mics do pick up. So, uh, hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great, great whatever day this is that this comes out. Uh, we recorded this back in April of 2017, so let's see what year it comes out in and what month. Um, this is the serious half of the show. We're going to try to get through some news, some announcements quickly, and after I tell you what's going on, and then I'll fill you uh, in with what I've been up to, and then we'll get to the second half of the show, which is complete ridiculousness. Although this week I did have, uh, I scripted everything out this week. It took me uh, uh, five weeks to write the notes. So I plan to release this back in um, January of 2021, and it's just now coming out. So let's get into it. First of all, uh, before I even get into the show, there was some, uh, I did want to say, I hope everybody had a fabulous May. Uh, International Female Ride Day, of course, happened last week, and, or last month, rather, I'm sorry. And uh, it was also Motorcycle Awareness Month, and it was also um, the a great reason to have the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge happen that month because of uh, you know it being Motorcycle Awareness Month. And since then, I'm stalling for time here while I pull up this article. Just the mic around here, too. So since then, the uh, uh, since it's the beginning of June now, uh, NHTSA, which is the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration here in the good old U.S. of uh, M, USM, United States of America. Um, anyway, the uh, being the end of Motorcycle Awareness Month, and, and of course, NHTSA is a government um, entity, so they take a little while to catch up. So they released some traffic tips and some safety tips at the end of, uh, of uh, Motorcycle Awareness Month. So I'm going to read off this list of, of uh, things because it's really kind of short and it's kind of uh, helpful. And I know that by now everybody's got to be out and riding here in the States. And I think that on the other side of the hemisphere that it is winter time for everyone. So if you're still riding, these still make a lot of sense. So some tips from the National Safety Council uh, that can be shared with new riders this season are below. Number one, more than half of all collisions with motorcycles occur in intersections. So take your time before you make that left turn to check for a motorcycle who has the right of way. And if you're a motorcyclist and you're going straight, you see someone half the time they don't have their blinkers on anymore but just do that thing you look smaller uh britney morrow up on her instagram page was posting all sorts of great little um uh stories about these little stickers that she has to remind people that motorcyclists look this big even when they're close so uh yeah we look really small if you're heading toward an intersection here's one thing you can do do the smidzy 
which I read a long, long time ago uh, on some uh, English site, which is, sorry, mate, I didn't see you. And that's the uh, uh, excuse given by a lot of left-turning drivers uh, to, to the motorcyclists that they end up colliding with if the motorcyclist survives. Smidzy, sorry, mate, I didn't see you. And so the smidzy move is where you kind of like weave back and forth in your lane, not doing a full-on traffic break figure eight while you're doing 40 miles an hour. But as you're heading toward an intersection, rock your bike back and forth. You might see airplanes do this to each other, rocking the wings back and forth in a way to say I'm here or goodbye or whatever that means when you uh, rock, the, rock the wings on a plane. But I've seen planes do it to each other before when they're close. So I think it means like, hey, I see you or something like that. Or, hey, I'm taking, uh, uh, you know I'm here and now I'm taking off. Whatever it means, do that on your motorbike. Just rock back and forth a little bit so they can see your headlight move. And it gets, you know, a lot of times people see that single headlight. They can't tell how far away it is. They can't tell if it's a, a car. Um, with the running light during the daytime uh, or at nighttime, it makes it could be a car with a headlight out, whatever it is rocket and they'll be like whoa that thing's like moving like a pedestrian with a flashlight people are extra sensitive about pedestrians uh the other thing you can do is stand up that way you look bigger and even though you might be the same distance away you just look small when you're sitting down especially if you're tucked so um and i and i don't i know that sometimes police i've heard stories actually i don't know that this is law or not um but when you stand up people can give you a ticket for reckless driving in some states in california unless it says that you have to be sitting down uh we're for people thinking we're a pretty commie state we're actually pretty libertarian here so if it doesn't specifically say it in a rule it's not illegal so you can stand up i'm pretty sure i don't have never seen a motorcycle uh law or motorcycle handbook that says you must be seated on the seat at all times so stand up you look bigger uh, and always remember to slow down just a tad when you're entering intersections and there's a car kicking it in that turn lane because you never know when they're what they might be looking at their phone these days. You know, back in the good old days, you knew it was just driver error. These days, they could be looking down and then look up and go, oh, the light's green and start going without really looking. Uh, the second one is it's harder to judge the distance of a motorcycle approaching in an intersection. So I just covered that. You do look smaller, so just slow down a little bit or stand up and make yourself look bigger. And motorcycles can stop in a shorter distance than vehicles can, and I wouldn't say that's 100% true, actually. So give them some room. If they have to stop suddenly, you may not be able to. Uh, and I wouldn't, I'm not gonna say that's 100% true, actually. Cars have four contact patches, and they can, uh, I know they're heavier, but if you're traveling at the at a relatively same speed, <clears throat> cars can actually jam on the brakes and slow down a lot slower now with ABS and all that fun stuff, I think, than motorcycles can. I think we need to test that. We need to make them write a note down here. Creative writing, brake stop. Just because we weigh less doesn't mean it takes less time to stop. We're usually going faster. Um, become familiar with the lane splitting and filtering laws of your state. And I think this is great. And this is all obviously geared toward auto drivers, right? Which I think is just awesome too. Remind auto drivers that, hey, you're not, you're on, out here on the road with motorcyclists. Um, and I also think that that's funny because this is uh, obviously no states and, and even we we're getting close on one and, and it didn't happen. We'll talk about that later in the show. But yeah, do be do be um, familiar with this with the splitting or filtering laws. If you're coming to California, uh, a lot of people come here for vacation. Just be aware that it is legal for motorcycles to split and filter and share lanes. And uh, you don't want to be the guy that 
I saw somebody do this, cut a cop off one time because they thought it was just some Harley coming down the lane. And uh, actually, it was on a BMW. It was one of those uh, uh, BMW RTs. And they thought it was just a driver splitting lanes. And it is expressly illegal. It does say in the handbook, uh, driver's handbook, that it is illegal to impede the travel of a motorcycle between lanes. So that is specifically written down in California state law. And yeah, I saw the, the police officer nicely give them a talking to. <laughs> so um, always wear a helmet. Yeah, even even the uh, even people like the AMA who fight against, or well, they don't fight against, but they they do the they advocate for rider choice, but they still say we still think you should uh, wear a helmet, even though we advocate for freedom. You know, that's it's a double-edged sword. You're playing both sides of the coin there, but they do suggest even to always wear a helmet, even though they are not for like strict helmet laws, and that's cool. Um, wear bright clothing. It can help you stand out to other drivers. And recently, I started wearing my white helmet again, um, even during daytime. And I, the last jacket that I got, I, I forewent all of, I used to have black jackets, nothing but black jackets. And the, the most recent one I got at least has white on the sleeves, even though the back's black. I was like, you know, I should have got one that was all white, but they didn't have one in my size at the time. Maybe I should have waited. Anyway, and I guess I could wear a brightly colored vest. If I commuted more, I probably would too. But anyway, and drive more defensively when you're on a motorcycle, especially in intersections. And I can't tell you how many people recently have turned left in front of me. I've done, been, been out doing a lot of riding recently, and we'll talk about that also at the end of the show. Um, and yeah, so that is... Uh, something that I'd have to say. Always drive defensively. And always have your headlight turned on. I don't think modern bikes, you can turn them off, but older vintage bikes, I remember, you had to flip the headlight on. Uh, and you could turn it on and off. And consider taking a motorcycle safety course if you're a new rider or haven't even ridden in a while. And I'd say that's great, too. There's always room. I talk about it all the time. Uh, how I often, uh, you know, go out and cut figure eights on my bikes and then I realize I can't do it on my SCR as good as I can on Spamla. I need to practice a little bit. And even though I ride every day, I don't do all the maneuvers every day. Uh, so get out there and take a riding course. You may learn something that you never had in your arsenal before. And uh, just uh, my, my buddy Sarah is actually coming up to do California Superbike School uh, next weekend. And so up at, at Willow Springs, and I thought, ooh, that'd be fun. That'd be a great, that's a great thing. That's an advanced course there for you to take some skills from the track. Oh, and we'll, we're going to talk about some upcoming events here in a second. So with that, keep all those in consideration. It's a pretty short list. I made it a little longer than it needed to be, but I figure, you know what, you can always uh, take a bullet point and uh, flesh it out a little bit. So there you go. That is the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration's tips for motorcycle safety. Um, now that Motorcycle Awareness Month's over and uh, they put the statement out, I don't know who actually sees this crap. If anybody, if they should put it to the local news and uh, say, hey, talk about this. Um, so speaking of uh, National Traffic Highway and Safety and riding and being in full swing right now, let's get into some things that are happening. This is our current events for this week, which is the end of the first week of June. All right. Uh, currently in progress, by the time this goes out, I'll probably be over, is uh, Babe's Ride Out East. I believe it started uh, a couple days ago. And uh, yeah, I've just been uh, following it on Instagram, as you do. 
Um, I don't. There hasn't been many TikToks about it. And Bing Bong, which is the uh, the uh, social media platform that's not even allowed yet. Uh, of course, that's not going to have it. And Facebook, nobody that old. No, I'm just gonna miss it. Anyways, <laughs> right now. Uh, also in progress right now. Uh, probably also going to be over by the time this uh, podcast goes out. So uh, if you were in the know beforehand, you knew. Uh, is the small bore at uh, Barber. Go down to Alabama, why don't you? Check out some rad small bikes, some racing, a sweet museum, the Barber Vintage Museum or the Barber Motorsports Museum. Uh, and check out an awesome track. The Barber Small Bore event will be happening all weekend. It also started on Friday. Our buddies from Steady Garage uh, were down there. Just pimped out new Grom that they made. Oh my God, it's so, so beautiful. Uh, yeah, that'd be a fun event. Definitely a fun event. Uh, Saturday, June 5th, uh, will, it will be the Milwaukee Pride Ride. And uh, I'm glad I put that up on my Instagram because I can already tell you that that is uh, going to be passed by the time this podcast gets uh, put out. Um, but anyway, happening at uh, ooh, Harley, the House of Harley, uh, starting at 9 a.m., kickstands up at 10.30. Um, June 12th, this is interesting. So June 12th, there's a bunch of stuff going on. We have talked about it in the last couple shows, and I think it's up on our blog, too. If not, I'll put it there. Uh, June 12th is actual uh, National Get Outside Day. I think National Donut Day was this last weekend. Well, next weekend is Get Outside Day. Work them calories off from National Donut Day. So that there's an interesting thing uh, with National Get Outside Day. We'll talk about that in one second. Um, June 12th is also the Pasadena Motorcycle Club. They're having their Greenhorn ride down to San Diego through the back roads. Kickstands up is very early. I think they're leaving the clubhouse at like ooh, 6 or 7 a.m. So make sure you get there with gas and hydration well before that. Uh, June 12th, also 9 to 11, uh, is going to be this new thing called Morning Motos. It's going to be at 123, no, 1213. So 1213 South Santa Fe Avenue. There's going to be some custom bikes there. I believe we talked about that uh, a couple weekends ago. It's going to be really hard. Uh, my buddy Sarah said, hey, come to Superbike School with me. There's also Pasadena Motorcycle Club Greenhorn Ride that day. There's also this morning motos that day. So there's three fabulous things going on. Uh, in order, you know, that I could take advantage of. So we'll see. Uh, June 13th, which is uh, ne next Sunday, the uh, Chilau School. Um, if you don't know who that is, you have to look that up on, uh, on Facebook. But the Chilau School is ho hosting their Highway 2 Motorcycle Track Day. <coughs> pardon me, at Horse Thief Mile at Willow Springs. And the track day is pretty much to improve your riding skills in the canyons and in general. And uh, Chilau School does a lot of these. Chilau is up on, um, oh yeah, I should uh, mention this, uh, some news here too in a minute. So Chilau School is actually up on Highway 2, just um, a few miles before you reach uh, the world famous Newcomb's Ranch. And uh, they actually do, they are part of like a Highway 2 community. And Highway 2 is one of the highways that winds through from the west side of LA to the east side over uh, where um, Interstate 15 is. And it cuts across the whole mountaintop. And, and it goes uh, basically along through the, you can imagine the twisties and turnies if you're going through a mountain. Uh, not over the mountain, along the mountain. So Highway 2 is rather, it's like a, 
the west coast tail of the dragon for SoCal. Then there's also Mulholland a few miles to the west, which is also like the tail of the dragon. There's there's so many. The tail of the dragon is probably popular, I'm guessing, because there's not that many twisty roads um, back east. But out here, <laughs> west of the, like the Sierras, is basically where California is on a plate, right? Like on a tectonic plate. So we have tons of twisties. You can even find them in your local neighborhoods around here if you look hard enough. So anyways, there's a lot of stuff. But Highway 2, I would say, is sort of like the tail of the dragon. Or I'm guessing, I've never ridden the Cherahala Skyway, but I've been on the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's sort of like that, uh, where it's just a beautiful, twisty uh, highway going along the mountains, right? So they have a lot of... Um, they do a lot of track days at Horse Thief Mile uh, at Willow Springs, which is which kind of simulates a twisty canyon. Uh, and, you know, it's there at the racetrack, but it's not a it's not itself a racetrack. It's more of a more of an emulator. So that's uh, they do quite a few track days there. I think they do like three or four a year. So every quarter. Um, and then I also mentioned California Superbike School uh, next weekend out of Willow Springs. You can do one or two days. Um, and then to amend this, this isn't a current event, but this is a sad uh, amendment to the uh, Chilau School, is that this summer, or actually not this summer, this uh, a few months ago, like two months ago, Newcomb's Ranch officially closed. And if you are familiar with Southern California and uh, Highway 2, you will know that Newcomb's Ranch was the one place where we everybody would gather. Every... Uh, January for I don't even know how many years ever since I've lived up here in uh, in SoCal so I'm guessing for like 20 20 years at least um, the SoCal Norton's owners group has hosted a riot run for the roses which goes up uh, highway 2 which is the Angeles Crest Highway and it's just a little two-lane highway like I said through the mountains and it stops at this place called Newcomb's Ranch which is not quite halfway but it's a after you ride up there, it's it's pretty good. You turn around and come back. Uh, and they do that every New Year's. Um, Newcomb's Ranch was always a place when you wanted to go riding, get a, get a quick like two-hour or three-hour rip-in. You would go up the Newcomb's, eat lunch, hydrate, use the bathroom, come back down. And it was literally the only thing up on Angeles Crest because you're starting your journey on the west side of the mountains where a freeway is and the a, and a city is and there was a gas station there. And then you ride all the way across this mountain ridge and you end up over in Wrightwood, which is another city and some snow uh, ski resorts are. And literally the only thing besides a couple like ranger stations and uh, loading stations, we don't use salt here, but like they, we do have snow plows because it's up on the hill. Um, and we have like these little rock, red rock stuff that they dump on the ground that's does exactly what salt does but without being corrosive that is like this uh, uh the only things up there the only buildings up there so the only life up there really and the only active uh interaction with people was newcomb's restaurant so on any given weekend there would probably be 100 or 200 bikes up there um throughout the day um sometimes events where 200 bikes would show up at a time um, Jay Leno was, would always go up there in his Porsches, a lot of Porsche clubs and Subi clubs go up there. So make a long story short, it's really sad uh, to lose Newcomb's Ranch and I don't know if it's been sold. 
Um, but I do know that the fires were just up there, and obviously Newcombs would get closed every couple of years. Uh, it's been closed about three times just in the 15 years that I've lived up in L.A. because of fires and because when that road gets damaged, they have to repair it before you can get there. So they've had to close down for like a year or two at a time. The pandemic was the re most recent thing, and the wildfire right before the pandemic, if you remember last year or 2019 i believe it was um there was a lot of uh fire pictures i was posting and so they were kind of closed for that for like this it lasted like six months and then uh once it reopened pandemic hit and that really you know knocked things out until for for a while so it just it's just uh, a sad and sort of an unsustainable area that they've been able to sustain for all these years as it is um, but it, but it is a staple of Southern California. It's like if Alice's restaurant were to go away up in the uh, in NoCal. It's like, man, really? So, anyways, uh, let's move on. Let's uh, get away from that tragic news and get on to some more creative writing. So, this week uh, we brought back word of the week, and this week I did a random word generator, and the word came out to be trade. That had me kind of thinking. Hmm. This week's word of the week is trade. I don't know how many times we're going to say it this week, but in the spirit of trade, uh, the trades are picking back up from what I've seen. There's been a push to get manufacturing um, back into American um, workforce and American vocabulary since, oh, I don't know, TARP, when, uh, like Obama's second term, and then on into... Uh, Trump's term where everybody we're, we're going to focus on on American trades. It doesn't seem like we have yet, but there's been in the in the background um, there has been a uh, a need for welders like ever since I moved to LA like 20 years now They're all talking about how welders are short short in, in LA. There's a lot of commerce and, and uh, business here that uses that stuff um, Manufacturing period like there's a lot of a lot of that going on and so trade Hmm. We could talk about that getting into the trades and I, I love that people that we follow and uh, have talked to before like Narissa our aforementioned patron she does this thing called build moto which was she teaches girls how to get into motorcycle engineering and mechanics and all that uh, mechanicing and working on your bike and all that stuff and a trade uh, the reason I love this is because it's uh, bringing back something you know bringing back something that could be lost in all this service economy also our friends at noble moto steve uh we talked to before he's always talking about brian Schaffer, the owner of skidmark garage and how they have a whole moto go cleveland and bring back shop class and all that fun stuff um who by the way they are just moving into a bigger building i i saw recently so uh yeah I like that this community is is all about bringing back the trades, um, and there's so much more than that. Th that that's just a couple things. That's like a very specific part of it. But trades make the whole world go around, right? And uh, so that's one thing. Tra I was like trade. I also thought about the great deals right now to trade in your bike on a new model with all this. The, with 2020 really having thrown off itself, like like in 2020. We should have been hearing about 2021 bikes, and we didn't. We barely heard about like what happened to some of the bikes in 2020. There's a lot of bikes that stopped production in 2020, and I talked about a couple of them over the last few podcasts. But really, 
that means that they were 2019 models going into 2020 that were uh, either stopping or going to end production. And then in 2020, you usually hear about the 21s. Well, we're already hearing about 2022s, and it makes sense. We're in the middle. We're in the middle of uh, 2021 right now, and all the new bikes usually start coming out in July or August for 22. So it's almost like we skipped this like three-year period. Like we didn't really get a follow-up with a lot of the 19 stuff as it was going to be coming out in 2020, like mid-year releases, you know, usually happens in January or February of 2020. Well, guess what? There's something else that happened around that time, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, but also then 2020, the people that were like, oh, crap, now we got to release bikes for 2020 in this time period and 2021. And it just kind of, a lot of things went quiet and unnoticed under the radar. However, people are already announcing 2022 stuff. So, uh, the last like year, well, I have 15 months. So the last like year and going on a half now has been a great time to trade in your motorcycle for something new that's coming up. And also if you own a motorcycle, you'll know that you could pretty much trade it in for gold. Like motorcycles were, uh, people needed them in their showrooms. And, and yeah, so if you owned a, a power sport of any sort, like a side-by-side uh, -side especially, um, motorcycles secondarily, and then RVs and all that stuff tertiarily, uh, you were in a good spot. And, and it was a buyer's, uh, or I'm sorry, it was a seller's market, which is what we always hate to see in reality when uh, in Southern California, if you need like, and actually Northern California too, like Bay Area, um, to live around any part of the urban central, you need to have like, I don't know, $45 million to buy a house. And that's great for people selling them. Or if you can get a loan and just own your home for like two years and pay, I don't know, $30,000, turn around and sell it for a couple million. Hey, you turned your $30,000 into two million. How did you do that, Warren Buffett? Well, you sold something that was of value. So if you were fortunate enough to buy like a $1,500 motorcycle a couple years ago, uh, off of Craigslist, you could have turned around and sold that baby on offer up for like twice what you paid for it. I mean, motorcycles were in such high demand, or you could have traded it in. So this this week's word of the week trade. I don't think we're actually gonna say it at all this uh, this week, but just want you to know that it is very relevant at this time. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, let me make it official here. This week's word of the week. As soon as I ring the bell on our. Um, Freshly engineered Triumph Speed Rocket 2. You're saying, wait, the Rocket 2 already exists. Don't you mean the Rocket 3? Well, I do mean the Rocket 3 to the second power. We have a um, we have a six uh, liter rocket sitting here in the garage. So let me ring the bell on uh, the the uh, horn on it. Ready? Yep, there we go. Tiny tiny bell for the world's largest bike. The word of the week is official right now, and if I say it, I have to let you come and punch me in the spleen. Uh, so I try not to say it. Uh, last but not least, let me see. Oh, yeah. Hey, I wanted to uh, say here at the top of the show, now that we're done with the word of the week, um, this is going to be June 20th. It's coming up pretty fast, and it is going to be Salsa Slam. And it's the parental unit edition. I know Father's Day is uh, the 20th, so I just wanted to say also that's the summer solstice. <laughs> Who knew? Dads get the most light all, all day round, all year, uh, all year long. Um, anyway, additionally, please submit something or I'm going to make some crappy songs and the whole episode will just be that. 
the address where you can submit it to is slam at creative-writing. If you're putting just slam at creativewriting.com, I'm not getting it. So slam at creative-writing.com uh, or creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, which, which one's ever more easy for you to remember. They all go to my uh, mailbox called junkies uh, listener crap that I don't know. I'm just kidding. They all, I'll, I'll get them both if you send them to either mailbox. Um, and I haven't got anything yet, so I'm a little scared. So we'll see how how uh, the Salsa Slam plays out this year. Salsa Slam can be ride stories. If you want to make a music, if you want to make a piece of artwork, if you want to write a story about it could be fictional, totally fictional. Anything about uh, motorcycling, I just want to hear about it. This is your time of the year where I don't put on a show, you put on a show, and we read your stuff, or you read your stuff and send it to us, or you write a story, and we have uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones read it, or uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s uh, stepson twice removed. Uh, I have contacts, uh, an in with both of those people, and so we can have um, have them read your stories, or if you make a song or music and send it to me, we'll play it on that show. That show is all about you and what's going on in your world. It's a, it's a listener takeover show, so go go for it. Uh, submit your stuff b- before the twentieth. The episode is the twentieth, so unless you want to do some awkward live version, uh, please submit it by the nineteenth. Um, and remember, I'm going to be drinking heavily that next morning, so I won't be able to throw any last-minute stuff in if you submit it at, like, midnight the 19th. I'll try, but there's no guarantees. All right. With that being said, let's move into segment two of the show. Let's switch gears, talking about an event that already happened. <laughs> wow. Like every single current event that you just had at the top of the show? Yes, just like that. Uh, news about the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge is coming up right now. So, I did not do a show last week of the challenge, or, or the weekend before that. Uh, that was the, the end of the challenge finished uh, May 21st. It's only been a couple weeks, but it feels like a month already when you're not running around putting your life effort into gathering street names for a cause. Uh, so, uh, I didn't do. I was on the. Uh, I was. I was on the wrap-up show with the, uh, with the uh, Loud Pipes guys uh, on the twenty-second or whatever it was, um, and then I did a little moto trip for Memorial Day, so I wasn't here last week either. So, here you go. For all of those who don't follow the challenge directly, we left you in a stunning cliffhanger. So to conclude that episode, here is how Team Shoot for Last finished for anybody that is interested. And if this is your first time ever listening to the show, A, I apologize. Uh, B, uh, there's much better shows out there. They're called, they're they're on the Wondery Network, not the Moto One Podcast Network. And uh, if you've never heard about the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge, let me just give you a quick, quick rundown. So the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge is a challenge between a ton of podcasts and this year was uh, the, the listeners of the team of the podcast could make their own teams as well. Basically, the gist is you get uh, you either pick cities or street names or whatever the heck the challenge is going to be that year. It's kind of like you go out and find a street named. Uh, they draw six letters, um, and each letter has uh, you know. A point value. So if they draw the letter M and they say, hey, this year it's streets, you're going to go out and look for the longest named street you can find. 
Um, and every single letter in that street is going to have uh, a point value based on the Scrabble tiles. And so if it's like um, Mazzini Zone 3, uh, you know, Bronxton Street or something like that, you're going to get a lot of points because there's a bunch of Z's and an X and all that other stuff in there. So Mazzini Zone Bronxton Street would be a, a good example. Super long name. So even if you have like the base number of consonants and vowels that only get, um, I said vowels, I meant vowels, that only get uh, like a few points each, that's still a lot. So that's why you're looking for length and you're looking for unique letters to be in it. And they would score you and, and then do that for six letters a week. And the team with the highest score uh, at the end of the week, what, or the end of the, the challenge, which is three weeks long, um, wins. So that's it in a nutshell. Um, it was really fun this year. We, we had a lot of rides. I got almost 1,000 miles. I did like 860 miles. And I know one of our listeners did. Uh, I actually have it right here. Um, Yep, I got their miles right here. Okay, cool. So I actually did do some, take some good notes on this. So to conclude, here's how we finished. Uh, I need a drum roll for this. And I don't have a tobor here, so I'm going to have to do this myself. So, team creative writing. Shoot, well, our team name was Shoot for Last. We wanted to get last place. How did we do? Creative writing. Came in. Dead center of the pack. <laughs> we, we finished fourth out of seven teams. Um, I have to say congratulations to Ted from the Motorcycle Men. They finally won, and we've always finished pretty close to them, but this year they absolutely smoked us uh, and took it. And congrats to Ted. I love the noodle Ted a little bit. Have fun with Ted because he's a funny, laid-back dude. He's probably one of the coolest guys. And ironically, out of the other podcast that wanted a whole bunch, which was Throttled and Loud Pipes, Neither of those is still being produced. They're they're all out of uh, they, their runs have terminated. And Ted, motorcycle man, is the only one of the OG tribe that is still around. So congratulations on him for winning and not getting taken over by a listener team. <laughs> so in second place uh, was a listener team. It is Cootie Newfels and. Uh, they want that was a that was a listener team and I'm not sure what podcast they listen to or if it's just a conglomeration of listeners from all the different podcasts. But uh, congrats to them for taking uh, second place. Third place was another podcast and it is Mr. Chris Geis with So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. So congratulations to them. Uh, creative writing obviously came in fourth place as I mentioned. Um, right dead center of the pack so uh individual riders uh for the challenge zion skillet took first i don't know what his last name is it looked like skillet so i just wrote that down um and he had a letter score keep in mind how i just said the letters are scored each each letter is based on the scrabble tiles and you get six letters a week for three weeks and you try to go find street names with those letters so he found street names to total up to 1,808 points and he put 2,033 miles on his bike in three weeks. So that's pretty good. Uh, second place, uh, notably, was only four points behind him. So 
1,804 points. So that's how close the competition is usually. Uh, and some people have to ride really far to find good names. Here, when we were doing cities instead of streets, Southern California is the place to be. There's a lot of Rancho Santa Margaritas, and I live right by La Cañada Flint Ridge. Um, there's not a whole bunch of like, hey, this is Acorn, or like, hey, welcome to Wall Drug. Like, you know, not... There's not a there's a lot of Rancho Santa blah 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 and Santa blah 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 and you know cool cool city names around here. Let me just put it that way. So uh, some people were not not really finding some good places, but now streetwise, man, come to find out the East Coast has small town names but crazy street names and uh, enough to get a thousand points just based on Scrabble tiles. So. Second place, four points behind, super close competition. Notably, second place had more miles, actually, but the miles are tiered. Like, for every, like, 100 or 200 miles, you get, like, an extra bonus point or a couple bonus points. So they weren't, they didn't have enough extra miles to play into the final score, but that's great that they were only four, four points off. That's uh, literally like an A. Uh, it's just, like, two, two consonants, two very common consonants off from, uh, from, taking over first place so um yeah our new team member rob i really wanted to say this out of the individual riders i think there was 38 uh new right uh riders registered this year uh rob our newest uh, team member got sixth place uh, overall with a letter score of 1442 which is quite a bit off the lead there that guy whoever took first just found some pretty smoking street names but 1442 isn't too shabby and he put on 1372 miles on the odometer hopefully we get rob back next year because it was a mix between him and bry viffer that really put us uh in fourth place this year and even though i know we were a team shoot for last i am kind of glad that we uh came middle pack i figured we we would at least be up there i don't think we've ever finished worse than like third or fourth but since there's a lot of teams this year um i feel pretty good about finishing fourth um nikki and paul uh they put nikki schroeder but i'm pretty sure her last name is schrodinger i'm pretty sure i haven't looked at um social media for a bit but they put nikki schroeder and i think it's nikki schrodinger anyway nikki and paul finished just outside the top 10 in 10th and 11th respectively um oh wait no, in, in 11th and 12th, respectively. Um, and that's not too shabby for 38 riders. I mean, that's that's pretty good. And the rest of us finished uh, a little lower. <laughs> Ooh, woo. And there was a few of us left. You know who you are. Moto, I wanted to say a couple riders did not even um, get miles logged. I think one of them is because in Canada it is still snowing. It's kind of like Game of Thrones um, where you're at the wall and it's, it's uh, eight feet of snow all the time, even in June july so i don't know our canada writer if they didn't track his stuff or just he didn't get a post um and then also uh chad clink and i and uh chris singsheim yeah we just didn't we just didn't get that good of street names it was pretty hard actually for me to find them uh a lot of good stuff here in socal so wisconsin one of one of our writers uh found them all and um Rob mentioned a little team meetup to celebrate our mediocrity, and I'd definitely be okay with that. It's one of these things that's timeless, right? So the Cali cohort could meet up in person, um, the three of us, and then either call or video 
stream with the Wisco Wonders. So the other three team members that participated. And um, in my opinion, we probably we have approximately 10 twelfths or 5 6 if you want to break down the fractions. We have about that many. We have about 10 months to do it and still have it be relative to this year and, and a recap of, oh, the great stuff that happened this year, you know, the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge being one of those. Here's here's our team meeting. Otherwise, we're pre-planning for the 2022 event. So we'll figure this out, guys. We'll get it uh, we'll get it all worked out, and hopefully we can do that. That would be real fun, um, especially, yeah, especially to, to talk to everybody and see what their experience was and to have six motorcyclists together. Um, at a time might be might be crazy so yeah we're, we could I, we could pre-plan for 2022 but i'd rather i'd rather get it out of the uh get it done sooner than later um and speaking of 2022 lots of news is coming out already for 2022 as far as new bikes are concerned so i want to talk about a few things here and uh let's see what time we're at we might need to take a break i'm not i don't have tow bore yeah we're we need to take a break real quick uh, Tobor is not here to wave his magic finger at me and tell me what time it is and see if I can keep blabbing. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with some more creative writing. Motor Stinky Pickle Cast. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Junkie from Creative Writing, and I just wanted to say uh, one quick thing. This last week, Eric uh, Stahl from Jiffy Tune, you may know him from the King of the Baggers Racing, tragically lost... Luckily, not his life, but everything else. Lost their racing motorcycle, their race rig, uh, all their tools, supplies, even the tow vehicle. Everything went up in flames in Texas on their way to Wisconsin to race in the King of the Baggers round two. If you go head over to Instagram and check out our uh, little link in the bio, it goes to his GoFundMe page. They're only asking a pretty small amount, uh, 10,000 bucks which is, I know there's 10,000 people who know people that listen to the show, so if you're one of the six people that listens to the show and you get out there and we hustle, we can help get back, uh, get Tony back on the track as well as his team and everything that they lost. They bought that bike themselves, they prepped it, put all the work into it to get it ready, using their own tools and, and obviously towing with their own vehicle. They are not some heavily sponsored race team, like, they're not sponsored by Harley-Davidson and uh, get all this great stuff paid for. They're privateer. And they're the ones, him and Tony, are the ones that got Bagger Racing off the ground. So let's help out our buddy Eric. Head over to our Instagram profile. Check out the link in our bio. It should should uh, head over to uh, Eric's um, uh, GoFundMe page. And let's help turn this tragedy around and get him set up for next year or the next series uh, as soon as it comes up. Maybe they'll do uh, bagger racing at Isle of Man and we can have them ready for, for this time next year. Alright. Do your part. Let's help them get back on the track. Hey creative writing listeners, this is Moto G Pete from the NoCo Moto Podcast. The best motorcycle podcast that you've never heard. Why haven't you heard of us? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I think the Clobman Pickle Corporation has been paying iTunes to repress any other motorcycle pickle-related content. And, like, our theme song barely even mentions pickles, but whatever. Just give us a listen. 
Creative writing is brought to you by Millman's Chocolate Chips. Millman's for long-distance truckers and motorcyclists on a long road trip. Millman's features enriched cocaine and skink pheromones. Millman's, I killed a ninja. Millman's Chocolate Chips. Looking for a high-quality leather that doesn't cost an arm and a leg? Well, not yours anyway. Try Criders, made in the USA from 100% renewable resources. We don't use fancy hide like kangaroo or elk, nor do we use other imported hides like jaguar or okapi. Those animals are scarce and protected. We extrapolate our hides from a unique source of marsupial. Not a wallaby, though, if that's what you were thinking. Criders leathers are made from the United States' most renewable resource, the common opossum. The common opossum is so common, in fact, that thousands of hides go to waste each year on American roadways. Thousands. We don't thousands. believe in letting these valuable garment farms end up in the city dump, especially with a looming leather shortage on the horizon. Criders is dedicated to rider safety, and a low overhead is our number one priority. Visit Criders today, and we'll fit you up in new skin. Possum skin. Criders, the cheapest leather you'll wear. Visit Criders now. We're located down by the stream behind the old recycling factory. Criders Leathers. Tobor, if you were awake, I'd tell you how the vegans are at the top of my shit list for this leather shortage. Oh, go oh God. Oh, hi, we're on air. Uh, hi. We're <laughs> welcome back to Creative Writing. We when we left off, uh, we were speaking of 2022, and and speaking of 2022, lots of new news is coming out already. I already mentioned how 2019 into 2020 threw us for a loop, but people are already gearing up and trying to forget about the last 18 years of our lives and talk about 2022. Now, as far as new bikes are concerned, there's lots of great stuff already coming out. So BMW and Suzuki first couple of marks that we're going to talk about are clicking the model years over on their S1000R and the GSX S1000 respectively. Both bikes very similar and they're following the Yamaha principle of stripping the front cowl down to nearly nothing. Uh, if you look at the headlight on the GSX, it actually looks like it could easily have been dug out of the trash bin inside the Yamaha design facility. So the uh, another thing I wanted to say about the, the BMW their bodywork is uh, getting refined every single time. Like I remember the original S1000RR, every like two years that had a, a new iteration and upgrades to the uh, electronics, but most notably upgrades to the um, the bodywork. And now it looks like a R1 had uh, improper relations with a uh, Ducati and you know, it really has this new distinctive look that if you look back at a old, the very first year, 2008 S1000RR, it's got one rather large circular headlight and then one wonky headlight, so it looks like it's winking. Plus it had these things that everybody was calling the shark gills. And if you look at it now, it's totally un unrecognizable. It's got the tiny lights in the front, similar to the R1 uh, started popping out a couple years ago. Um, and now all the R bikes have these little tiny headlights. But if you take a peek at um, Yamaha's new offerings, and if you have a chance, I don't know if they have, I don't know if you can get to it yet. I'm sure you can. If you go to like Partzilla or like um, Bike Bandit or some, somewhere that has like a, a parts fish that you can look up, um, 
parts for for OE parts, go look at the 2021 um, MT-07 and the MT-09 headlights. They are freaking ridiculous. And like I said, they're getting less and less cowling and and front bearings around them, stuff like that, bodywork. You're just getting this headlight sitting out there with nothing aesthetic around it. It's just plopped right on the front forks. We're turning we're turning these naked bikes into sort of like pre-street fighters, you know what I'm saying? And the bodywork on the um, GSXS 1000 looks to me a lot like Yamaha's b- bodywork on the last two gen of um, like the almost like the Tracer 900 and the MT-09. If you you look at it, Suzuki, not just bold new graphics, baby. And those are the first two bikes. I thought it was very interesting that BMW and Suzuki, the first two new bikes for 2022 that they're showing happen to be naked. And for the longest time, you could hear it all through the middle of the 2000s up into just the middle of the uh, aughts, right? And uh, or the middle of the whatever they call the the 15s, the teen years. For about a decade now, all I've been hearing is how naked bikes don't sell in the U.S. So I think it's very interesting that BMW and Suzuki, the two people who really aren't known for groundbreaking, you know, moves, are throwing out there these two new naked bikes. So uh, interesting. We'll have to see how the rest of the year forms up. Also for 2022, the Triumph Speed Twin. It dropped, touting a whole bunch of new upgrades. And as to be expected, somehow Euro 5 isn't stopping motorcycles from having every last inch of horsepower wrung from their restricted engines, right? We just keep hearing about Euro 3, then 4, then 5. Pretty soon it'll be Euro 6. And this stuff is happening, like, so fast. I mean, between Euro... Two and Euro five, it went from like a, a decade process to like a matter of like every year is changing now. So the Triumph Speed Twin is no exception, as it has three more horsepower than last year. It's a claimed 99. It doesn't say if that's at the the crank or not, but I'm guessing that's brake horsepower, um, which would be one hell. Uh, just my my brain went crazy with this. It'd be one hell of a sight to see. Uh, basically 99 horses out there like literally 99 horsepower uh to put that into perspective and have somebody sitting on a motorcycle with 99 horses pulling them down the street what would that look like it just made me think of all these bikes that have like 200 horsepower uh you know almost every uh super sport has uh i'm sorry um Every, like, leader bike is close to 200 horsepower, if not over. So, yeah, imagine the um, the H2, you know, like, over 200 horses in a row pulling this little bike. Uh, that would be quite a sight to see. Also, going back to the Speed tr- uh, speed Twin, it's got 33-millimeter upside-down Marzaki forks with a cartridge uh, in a pear tree. Uh, it's got the M54 piston monoblocks from Brembo. I can't remember if those are the ones that had the recall just a couple years ago, but that's what they're using. LED lighting, which, of course, uh, Yamaha has gone to exclusively LED lighting. Uh, Kawasaki moved that way. BMW has gone that way. Um, now Suzuki's going that way. And all these, uh, like the Speed Twin, Triumph, a uh, company as aged as Harley-Davidson is, um, going with the LED. Harley also. Almost, uh, I can't think of any incandescent or halogen bulbs left on the Harleys, come to think of it. Uh, I might be excluding Sportsters on that, but uh, yeah, most of their stuff's going to LED. So, like, talk about classics getting this upgrade, right? And 
Uh, let me see. Blah, 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 blah. The only reason I'm really mentioning this is because someone <laughs> could have taken a note with the SCR platform. And for $3,000, uh, just more, you get twice the horsepower. Because the I think the Speed Twin, the 2022 Speed Twin, is only $3,000. Bucks more than the SCR sold for the one year it was offered in, in the States, which was 2017. $3,000 more, you get twice the horsepower. This is an acclaimed, like, 48, uh, which is, is this, this is like a 950 Sportster, basically, the, the Yamaha SCR. But it could have been so good with all these Ducati scramblers and the BMW scrambler and then the SV, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a bunch of people coming out with, like, scrambler-type stuff that you could have... Uh, kept this around longer like you like you are with the Bolt. I mean, they still have a Sportster um, uh, contender, and it's, that's the Bolt, right? So anyway, get twice the horsepower, twice the handling, which I'll talk about a little bit. You maintain the retro scrambler platform for that everybody's now leaning into. I forgot Ducati, of all people, who's that's what saves their company every year. And we'll talk about the SCR more in a bit, but Back to the 2022s, or the 2220s, if you want some good music. Um, <laughs> I, I, there hasn't been a whole lot of other stuff. A lot of, a lot of things coming out are like we already knew. The 2222 Hayabusa, the KLR, stuff like that. Um, we already knew those were coming out because everybody talked about those earlier. However, I did want to mention that. I, don't, I, I know I put it in my notes here somewhere. Um, was it way back at the top? Anyway. Um, I know that they already announced the Hayabusa. Here it is. The Hayabusa and the KLR, we already know from a few months ago, announced for 2022. But they're finally starting to make headlines with a bunch of um, more major uh, news outlets that don't cover motorcycles. Motorcyclists have already tested these things and then given their opinions of them and got to do test rides and this and that. So, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out for 2022. Kawasaki throwing down, hey, guess what? We're going to have new for 2022. Some new uh, mules. So uh, I, it is without, you know, doubt that the side-by-side -side is going to, is eclipsing and has eclipsed motorcycle sales. And we're just going to see more and more and more of that. Uh, we mentioned earlier at the top of the show, um, upcoming events, June 12th being Get Outdoors Day. Polaris has uh, launched an offliner uh, campaign for June 12th, and it's an initiative aimed at getting people offline and outside for National Get Outdoors Day. Polaris is passionate about getting people outside, whether it is to take a ride on one of their vehicles or just to go hike and enjoy nature. Uh, they also sell snowmobiles. It's not just side-by-sides, and it's not just the Indian uh, brand that they own. I mean, they, Polaris owns a lot of different vehicles, so they don't really care what you're riding or driving. They also want people to get outside and just recreate. Uh, and be, uh, you know, one with nature, right? And this is a great, great, um, I, 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 like, they're the only company I know right now that has this offliner campaign going on. And, and I know everybody's like, hey, get out and ride. You do this and that. They're like, no, forget it. We don't even care if you ride. Get out and hike. Just get outside. Uh, the, the campaign notes the positive health benefits that we get from being outside. Of course, there's always the vitamin D, fresh air, all that fun stuff. They also threw up a few stats stemming from the uh, pandemic. And most notably, the sheer number of hours that humans are spending online each day. That number increased 
to 13 hours per day in 2020 from just like, I don't know, four or six. I know there's gamers that just their whole life is in the basement, you know, much to their parents' uh, chagrin that they <laughs> spend their whole life, you know, 26 hours a day. Some, somehow they've manufactured like, like Bitcoin or Dogecoin. They've made a crypto time where you have uh, two extra hours a day to, to game. There's always been those people in homebodies, but the normal average person went from like, I don't know, four or six hours of screen time a day, which included work, to 13 hours per day in 2020. And it's on target. It's not likely to change that much in 2021 so far. And I know that school has been online this year. And then right after school, you're, you know, my kids are like, hey, man, we want to just play or uh, watch YouTube <laughs> and all this fun stuff, right? So it's trending that way in 2021. Uh, and so they're like, listen, we got to get back outside. We got to get people doing stuff, realize that we love nature and uh, not just to sell our vehicles. But man, we just, uh, if people can't drive, people aren't going to or buy our stuff. So, um, I want to say if you head over to Polaris.com forward slash think offline, you can take this little pledge and you can be entered to win some cool prizes, which includes backpacking gear, apparel, you know, uh, some adventure trips. It's not, you know, win $500 off your, your, uh, next Polaris purchase. So they're, they're just about getting people outside and offline. So that's pretty cool. Keep that in mind next weekend and maybe we can all post up some fun, Outdoors adventures. We'll be, I'm going to talk about my outdoor adventures pretty soon. But uh, speaking of pandemic, speaking of screen time, uh, I want to do something that I haven't done that I can remember since episode 12. And uh, it's going to be called, it's going to be the reverse, the devil's advocate. Do we need more pandemics? This is the main, main show on today's topic. Do we need more pandemics? We'll get into the other off-topic stuff after uh, after this. But after this, you can you can leave. We'll try to wrap it up. Let me see how much time we have here. Uh, we're at an hour. So we'll try to make this as fast as possible because we got a bunch of other crap to cover as well. So do we need more pandemics? I thought this would be an interesting topic to cover. Uh, I've wanted to talk about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the effects that it's had on motorcycling for a while. I've resisted because the whole virus and response has been a hot button issue in this country as well as others, as far as being politicized and uh, people calling it a pandemic. and is it really real? You know, it, it's basically as real as the Black Plague, the bubonic plague was. I mean, it's, you know, it, it is, um, you know, for me, I have an opinion on it that maybe I'll share in a minute, but also just the word, just saying COVID triggers some people. Some people get PTSD from it because they had it and it's really bad or they lost a family member. But now in the USA, just saying COVID, people don't want to hear like, that word means that I lost a lot of freedom last year and uh, possibly even my job or a loved one. And also... Um, we're kind of in this like tremulous time right now. We're, we're opening, we're, we're forgetting about this, right? So uh, we're, we're getting over it. So I figured this is a good time to talk about it. And uh, also talk about like at least locally where I am, we're getting over it. I know a lot of my coworkers, we have uh, several of our family uh, at, at my work um, 
is from India or has family in India, and right now, I mean, for them, it's still real. And in some other parts of the world, it's still, it's just happening. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible. So locally, we're getting through this and putting it behind us. So I kind of wanted to analyze some of the short and long-term ripples that have moved through the moto world uh, right now. So first things first. Last year, uh, right just before this time, I had gone to the Women's Moto Show, and that literally snuck in right before uh, the lockdown started to happen. Of course, uh, Daytona Bike Week was happening when all of it went down, and regardless of lockdown status and, and, and numbers being thrown around, uh, a lot of bike stuff still went on. Sturges still happened last year. Daytona Bike Week happened this year. Uh, you know, so for them, I don't think, you know, they, they happened halfway in 2020 and came back in 2021. So for them, they have continuously happened. But, um, you know, in the very beginning, they, they did shut down part of the way through the, first, through the uh, uh, bike events happening. So... What, we, what, what came out of this so far is it quite a few things. And there's actually other podcasts talking about this right now, too. So I, I feel like it's safe to talk about the effects that it had on us. One of the, one of the positives that came out of this, and this is kind of a weird... I, I kind of have like a... Uh, I, don't know, I, I think about things like this. The Black Plague happened. The Red Plague happened. The Bubonic Plague happened. There's been a lot of plagues throughout our lifetimes. A few years ago, I don't know if you remember, this is like when Obama was president still, people were all over him for bringing Ebola to the United States. We had a, uh, somebody that had Ebola came to the States and it's like the most dangerous disease ever. I believe in Liberia, they are still having Ebola outbreaks uh, six or seven years later after, you know, this. There's, there are crazy diseases out there that want to kill us. And there's another recent pandemic that everybody has lived through that's my age called the AIDS pandemic, right? And that is a global pandemic, and it still uh, is with us. And Mother Nature, especially in places like Africa and, and Asia, there's a lot of um, diseases that come out of these places because for the longest time, humanity has grown up alongside of viruses. And these viruses have found ways to infiltrate, and then the human body has found ways to fight back, and then the vi a new virus will come and infiltrate. And yeah, the longer you've grown up with a virus... Uh, longer humanity has been around in a single place, um, and I think scientists have kind of determined that probably somewhere around uh, Africa and the Middle East is like the cradle of humanity. So you can imagine that a lot of crazy diseases come out of there. Well, the East, I think, is also uh, very known for having a huge population from India through China, you know, uh, most, of, most of East Asia has a big population. And so when this virus kicks, it spreads pretty easy, right? So just from a pers uh, uh, perspective of that, my thing is that like every few year, every few years, centuries, whatever it is, Mother Nature is going to find a way to even out the score. Mother Nature is going to come and clean house, and that's usually the weak and the old. You know, we, we look at herds of wildebeest getting eaten by lions, and we don't think about a second, second thing about... <laughs> them getting eaten because they can't run very fast anymore you know the young ones and the really old or sick ones um and it and it helps the populations of, of predators uh you know stay stay healthy as well and that's exactly how viruses work and so to me whether or not we went into like lockdowns and this and that i mean people are getting to the point where you're not dying 
at 40 anymore, hey, that's a great deal. You know, back in the, in the Middle Ages, like King, you know, Wenceslas or, or King Fartbanger, whatever, whoever you want to point to, hey, they lived to a ripe old age of 60, and that was ancient for back then. You know, lots of people were dying, lots of Roman emperors didn't even make it past 40, you know. Um, somebody's going to somebody's gonna call me out on that, but I'm just saying, like, you know, if you lived to 40 or 50 back, you know, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, you had it made. That's, that's old. Um... There's always been certain pockets of people that have had, you know, people living to 100. But it's not usual. And nowadays, I think with modern medicine, and as long as you eat healthy, the other, the other side of the coin is we're killing ourselves, you know, with all this uh, chemicals that we're putting into our foods and eventually into our bodies. But we're doing a good enough job of killing ourselves. But, every, but I think right now the population of Earth is the biggest it's ever been, right? How does all that have to do with motorcycling? It doesn't, but what happened does. What happened to us as a, as a humanity does. So long story short, I'll quit blabbing about, uh, about that. But my kind of view on it was I don't, I, don't know if, uh, I don't know if the pandemic was a bad thing or just a natural thing, right? But I know that the reactions that a lot of people had and a lot of things that have happened uh, because of it affected us directly as motorcyclists, right? So uh, jumping into the motorcycle aspects of it, um, one of the responses that we had to try and save people and, and not spread uh, a modern day plague was to go into lockdowns, right? And working from home. And so, uh, one of the long-term effects that that has had so far, we've seen supply. Uh, during, during I think, last year, I was talking about how a lot of suppliers come from China for, for brands like Polaris, even Honda gets some of their stuff, bearings, you know, metal, metal to make stuff. A lot of stuff comes out of China these days. And when China was in its first essential lockdown, um, that meant that the rest of the globe felt it economically, right? And we can go back and do a whole episode on that. Probably people are doing episodes on other podcasts that are much smarter than this about the economic effects of this whole thing globally, since we are like now a global economy, right? But what it really did also was meant that being locked down and working from home, a lot of companies were forced to rethink how they are going to sell stuff and stay in business. And the first few months was like, ooh, you know, everybody's in this together. And then eventually it became like, hey, everybody's in this together, but I'm still getting charged rent on my property by my landlord. So apparently my landlord's not in this with me or whoever the, the property management company is that owns my dealer, you know, the ground that my dealership's on. Um, and even if you own your own dealership, you still are paying the bank, right? So luckily, hopefully your bank was in this together with you. Um, but I think a lot of people found out that we weren't in, we weren't all in this together. I still owe payment on my bike that I just bought in as a Christmas gift in 2019. Oh crap, now 2020 has happened and I got laid off uh, or my business got shut down because we can't work in within the guidelines, whatever that, whatever it was. I think that a lot of things uh, changed, and 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 the motorcycle industry response was pretty awesome. Everybody, everybody, put the brakes on, pumped the brakes for a second, and then turned around and figured out how can we do this? How can we make? Um, I mean, to me, like a lot of kids already don't like, I shouldn't say kids, a lot of younger people that are becoming adults already are used to not having very much uh, personal interaction, like online dating. People don't go to bars to meet people anymore. They meet them on, you know, on Grindr. <laughs> and, 
and Bumble and all these other stuff. So uh, people are already used to non-interaction. And I think the motorcycle industry is pretty archaic. And it stepped up and was like, listen, people are already trending toward not interacting with people in person for this crap. And the only the only guy that needs to do this, and I say guy because they've always been guys where I've gone. The F&I guy, the guy that works the... the uh, trades and, and touches people's wallets inappropriately is the only person that really needs to see customers to work them, you know, work out, hey, make them feel like they're getting a deal when they're just tacking on, you know, a few hundred bucks uh, every single box that you check. So I think people were cool with it. And now the, the, uh, the dealerships were just like, we just need to deliver this to you and go over the ownership um, uh Obligation, You know, they have to explain how certain things work. Even if you have owned motorcycles your whole life, they still have to walk you through this uh, process of explaining how it works, you know, how, how to ride a motorcycle. Um, that's all they got to do. So they really stepped up and figured out how to, how to uh, execute that in, in a pretty good way. And every single dealership, at least here in the United States, when you'd log on to a website, would say, hey, here's our COVID-19 protocols. Here's how we're going to get your brand new motorcycle to you, and you don't even have to leave your house. So one thing is that um, lockdowns and work from homes meant a loss of personnel, a loss of sales personnel. I have a really good friend that worked at Harley-Davidson uh, as a service writer, and I don't know. I haven't talked to him this whole pandemic. I don't know if he still works there, but I don't think he does. So service was down. People aren't riding. It was the most glorious thing. L.A. was, like, so clean and clear for a while. Like, people people don't think that pollution is that bad. But in any major city, I will tell you, like, there's days where it's hazy. And w during the whole year of 2020, it was very clear here in L.A. Like, I've seen the mountains more than I've ever seen. It's, it's a, it was amazing. And it's not, all, it's not all car emissions. It's, like, all sorts of emissions, whether it's paint, you know, paint <laughs> fumes flying into the air, tortilla factories making all the tortillas and the steam going up in the air. Like, there's a lot of stuff, dust just from construction sites. There's a lot of stuff that contributes to air quality and pollution. Um, but last year, I got to say, it was just so clear, and there was, just, like, almost zero traffic in L.A. for the first time ever in the history of L.A. Uh, you know, you can go look at pictures from the 1800s when horses and carriages were backed up on the 405, right? Uh, anyway, so this loss of personnel um, also meant these, like when the stimulus checks started to come, the staff were like, hey, listen, I guess I don't want to work in an industry where I just stand around on a showroom floor and nobody needs me until they're ready to buy a bike or, you know, so a lot of people changed occupations and the motorcycle industry now needs people as we're opening up locally. And also we need people in the factories and, and parts delivery and like all this stuff. We're, the, the industry in general needs people. And last year, like I said, everything shut down. Uh, and a lot of things stopped, regardless of if your landlord or your debtors <laughs> stopped asking you for money. And so people needed that. And people were doing all sorts of stuff. And I think people have said, hey, now that we've got like a few stimulus checks in our hands and we're actually working at you know, a delivery place now and we're getting some money coming back in, I kind of want to go back to school and do something else that's not dependent on uh, a constant, you know, revolution of people in and out of this dealership or the shop or wherever you're at. Um, and so, yeah, that really did mean the stimulus checks, not only did they mean that people were using the money to change occupations, uh, if you were already doing good, um, a lot of folks used it to... Uh, 
do recreation activities or upgrade their and replace bikes in the garage. So that's what I was saying earlier. If you're the, the word of the week, which I won't mention, but if you were in a position and you have like a dirt bike or something last year, guess what? Now you can use your, you know, double, quadruple the money, at least here in SoCal. I know a lot of places. You could use double the money that your bike was worth that you got for it plus your stimulus check if you were still employed to uh get, go get a brand new uh klr 450 which is like ten thousand dollars which is probably about six thousand dollars more than it should be but uh yeah i mean you can go get a brand new sweet bike that's now going to be yours for you know I, the value won't be like it was this year but you know, there was a lot of good things that happened out of uh, stimulus checks and people being home. And I'm not going to say that people leaving the motorcycle industry is bad because if they did get some money and they, you know, went to a different occupation that's going to make them more money in the long run or just improve who they are as a person, that's better for them, right? So it's not a bad thing that the motorcycle industry lost money or lost personnel. As a matter of fact, now that we need more people, maybe it'll be, give people a chance to step up and, and get into the uh, the role that somebody would have just stayed in until they were 50, you know, and died. Because we all we all die at 50, like, like I said. <laughs> um, the, the, the third benefit of this is that... Uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I did want to go back... Uh, Step two was the dealerships had their floors cleared. And part of that was loss of supply. Um, there was a lot of shipping things that went on last year and, and this year from ships getting stuck in the middle of canals in other countries to not having the personnel available to ship them and work the docks and work the, uh, uh, the shipping containers. And here in San Pedro, the port, uh, uh, the port of Los Angeles, crazy amount of commerce comes through there crazy amount of motorcycles and gear and parts along with you know hair dryers and stuff to fill up walmart shelves and toilet paper shipments that if you can remember last year how funny it was that there was like never toilet paper on the grocery shelves like there's some stuff that's just been sitting there forever so whether the dealerships lost inventory because of the demand for motorcycling was so high that's a good thing to be in the motorcycling industry or the power sports industry i should say where people are buying side by sides quads motorcycles street motorcycles um hell jet skis sasquatch haulers whatever you're buying that's a great thing and and other people cleared their showroom floors just from loss of inventory the shipments aren't coming in faster than they're selling out so dang now we're out of money and out of bikes to sell so that did two things for dealerships it cleared the floor people were encouraged to recreate and a lot of people discovered motorsports, side-by-sides. Um, if you're a company like Polaris, I really do think, and Kawasaki, you have it all. Uh, and Honda, I should say, too, because Honda just got into the sport side-by-side thing. So they're a little bit behind in, in uh, Yamaha and, and Polaris and Kawasaki on that. But those are some companies that we're just going to see start taking over the market because Suzuki, yeah, they have quads, but they only have quads and motorcycles. They need to throw some side-by-sides out there um, and get some good street cred because Polaris has Indian, which is its totally own thing. They also have the Slingshot, which is kind of like a, you know, cars or motorcycle enthusiasts can appreciate that. Plus they just have this crazy amount of quads and side-by-sides 
and a bunch of um, industrial stuff like baggage movers at the airport and like and, and snowmobiles. So they they got it covered. I, I think Polaris is a bigger player in the motorcycle industry than we think just because of the other stuff that they own. But this year we saw that if you had side-by-sides in your lineup, guess what? Those were out the door. Quads were out the door. Dirt bikes were out the door. Because uh, people were, were encouraged to recreate and get away. And so a lot of people discovered motorbikes. And if you're not a motorcyclist already, you are probably going for that side-by-side or quad. So it's just a little bit easier reducing the barrier to entry. So that was cool. Uh, that helped clearing dealership floors and the stimulus checks. Like I said, if you were lucky enough to work where you don't have to go into a physical location, you probably stayed employed um, and you were probably affected, but not that much or not that much. I shouldn't say that you were affected in a different way and you could get out on the weekends and go keep your income, still get these stimulus checks, which means that you got got out to recreate. And hopefully you're going to get back into, you're going to stay in, in this uh, industry. Um, dealers also got excess inventory out the door. If you're a motorcycle dealership and you had dirt bikes, you were probably looking around on Craigslist also to scoop up some new dirt bikes to get back in your showroom to flip them out. Nobody's going to come to an empty showroom and nobody's going to come to a showroom that doesn't even have like a bike to look at or try it out to sit on. But that was the case in a few places. There were literally, you know, everybody else, like a lot of Harley dealerships and BMW dealerships will have, um, I'm not too sure about Ducati. I've never been in a Ducati dealership in my life. But uh, a lot of times you look for the used bikes and you have to look for them online or they take you out back by the trash compactor. Uh, and there you go. There's a homeless encampment, a couple tumbleweeds, and their used bikes, especially at Harley-Davidson. They're trying to pump the, the factory stuff out. This year, because of last year, and so many people clearing out uh, the showrooms, like I said, because of either loss of supply or the demand, or both, people were like, oh my God, our used bikes are going to save us right now. And also, uh, it's increased. I, I read this... Um, I read this report the other day, or heard heard a heard a podcast talk about. I can't remember what it was. That um, used bike sales are up. Oh yeah, that's what it was. It was uh, Robert Pandia was talking about it on the um, on the IMS uh, Center Stand podcast. Um, they were talking about how uh, to to one of the de- uh, dealer um, or somebody that does like national power sport auctions. I forget. And they were saying that they saw like. You know, normally dealerships don't want to touch bikes that are over like 10 years old. Like, absolutely. Five years is getting old in the tooth, but 10 years, no. And they sure don't want to work on your like 1980s pile of crap, you know, and try to keep it street legal. And uh, half of those people don't know how to work on carbs and stuff anyway. So uh, they were saying, yeah, no, older bikes were getting uh, sold and, and taken in by dealerships where before they wouldn't have bothered to even give you a a price quote for it. Now they're like, yes, I'll take your, you know, 1990, you know, 30 year old vehicle and uh, I'll trade, even trade in, you know, you can trade it in or, or we'll buy it from you because we need, they need an inventory. So that was kind of cool. Private sales like used bikes, they have been moving from driveways to the dealerships as people traded in for new bikes. Now you're getting something for your 1997 VFR rather than just like 1200 bucks. No, hey, listen, we'll take that. Does it run? Like, is it good? Like, they'll check it out. Holy crap. Like, yeah, we'll give you like 
$500,000 more than you were asking for this because we absolutely know that we can mark it up another, you know, 50% and s sell it tomorrow. So um, used bike sales really went from Craigslist and OfferUp and places like that to dealerships. As people traded in for new bikes, dealers were able to flip those used bikes like crazy and older bikes actually are making it back out onto the road, which means service. Service departments are going to be probably reevaluating what they're willing to work on nowadays. So, uh, and there was some not, uh, you know, the, the crazy observed stuff. That, 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 that's kind of like the secondary stuff that happened. This is kind of, uh, you know, stuff within the industry that people have noted or noticed. Do we need more pandemics as far as like a consumer of this lifestyle and a participant in it? And here's what I want to say. I am IMS Outdoors. I'm not saying it never would have happened, but I guarantee that they start planning IMS the day that it closes. Uh, they have about six month lead time between the last show in like February, sometimes they go into March, and the first show where they start planning, you know, in August, September, October, whatever it is. Like it usually would start in November and go to February or March. And I know that's longer than six months, but when you're talking about renting a place and signing contracts, it actually starts before that. And it ends a little after that. Uh, there's a lot of cleanup and payment due and this that and, and final show things that have to happen. I think there's a, approximately like a six month gap where they're still planning and still trying to conceptualize what's gonna happen because come November 1st or November 12th, whatever it usually is, um, we need to have this, we need to have our plan 100% worked out and done, you know? And there's always gonna be things that happen day of that you have no control over, but like rain, you know, you can't you can't plan the, uh, the weather, but everything else is planned down the dealer space, who's gonna be there, you have to start taking, um, you know, signing people up months beforehand so you know who you're going to put where, who gave you the most money, getting the biggest spot, blah, 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 all this stuff. I'm just saying it's a year-long process, even though the show itself is only a few months. Had the pandemic not happened, I don't know if IMS Outdoors would have ever happened or if it would have just taken, like, more and more years to uh, bring the concept to reality. But that's something that's really crazy about this last year. Having a year off to not worry about stuff or worry about it in a different way has really been a boon to the motorcycle industry. Uh, IMS Outdoors, that is gonna become a thing and it's gonna be crazy cool, I think. You know, uh, it's gonna be almost like um, a festival, I feel like, more than just like going inside a convention center and looking at stuff. Uh, the Harley Pan America, Livewire, and the Electric Glide Revival, all these bikes, I'm sure they had them planned. I'm sure that they were like thinking about them. But 2020 was a year where you kind of could throw everything out the window and nobody would notice. There's a lot of bikes that quit production or didn't come back for 2020. Nobody noticed, you know what I'm saying? We all had other stuff to worry about at first and then as the year lagged on, you kind of forget about it. Oh yeah, like where is the, where's the 2020 uh, one Grom? They never released a 2021 Grom and that's because they're coming out with the brand new 2022. So the Grom took a year off, a lot of the shadows didn't even come back for 2020. Um, I know Mexico lost the Navi for 2020. There's a lot of things that didn't happen. Uh, or after
after 2020 is not coming back, right? And as we can see with a bunch of the bikes that got makeovers and that are getting makeovers, it was a real year for planning and it cut your lead time down a little bit to where you could work on stuff without having to, like a, and during 2020, you're just worried about getting what you currently have sold, right? And especially with the decline in the industry, 2020 brought more people in, I feel like. So that was something kind of cool and crazy. And it gave the Pan America, it gave the Livewire a chance to decide they're gonna break off into their own company. The Electric Glide Revival comes out. I don't know if anybody's gonna notice. I don't know if anybody noticed they dropped the streets, but Harley Davidson completely dropped the streets from the lineup and had 2020 not happened. I think they would have been like, yeah, business as usual. It really gave everybody uh, a chance to step back. Unfortunately, they dropped the prototypes, but we're going to talk about the Pan American a little bit. That's doing so well, I think they might decide to bring those back. Um, like I said, Honda upgraded the 250s to 300s. I don't know if anybody has really noticed that, but the CRF 250 and 250L is now at 300. Honda redesigned the Grom for 2022. Um, you know, they they skipped well they dropped the fury and they dropped all their shadows and i don't know if they're going to be coming back because honda does this thing where they do skip years you might see a 2019 and then a 2020 model and you're like or i mean a 2021 you're like where's the 20 like the shadow arrow skipped like a year or two and it's just because they do this thing where they're not going to make it if it doesn't sell they'll just sell what they have during the off year and then they'll bring it back once the demand's up so i don't know if all the shadows stop production and they're, they're all going to be coming back or if Honda's like, listen, we're going to just not bring back cruisers like you think of cruisers. We'll bring back a standard or something like that. Uh, Kawasaki also got a focus on their 300s. They brought back the KLR 650 for 2022. They had all of 20 uh, to work on that and they could have announced it as a 21, but they're doing the Super Tenere thing back in 19. That was going to be a 21. People are just announcing stuff a couple years out. So the Suzuki, um, V-Strom and GSXR, they're riding that wave while finishing the new Hayabusa and then upgrading the GSXS 1000. Um, like all these motorcycle companies, period, had a lot of time to sit back and, and refine and, and refigure out their strategy. Um, I think for Harley Davidson, it's going to be one of the best years ever because even sales-wise, it might have been down. Innovation-wise, I think they're they've been moving and doing a lot of things. Um, AIM. If you're into AIM, which is the, uh, you know, AIM is put on by the MIC, which is the Motorcycle Industry Council. They already do so much stuff for the industry that you probably don't even know. Um, they had year-round symposiums, the MIC did, and AIM, I, I call it AIM, AIM was virtual, but uh, it let a lot more people attend um, than if you are having to show up in person and fly all the way to the, usually it's in Columbus or something like that, Ohio, and they did it in Florida one year and they did it in Vegas. You just got to plan where it's going to be that year. This year, so many people could attend because it was, it was online. Um, they did year-round symposiums and they're still doing it and the MIC puts on some really good stuff and they have just been having these year-round uh, sort of virtual things now that you don't have to show up to it and, and uh, you know, everything was virtual. Working was virtual. School was virtual. So why not the motorcycle industry, right? So that's one benefit that came out of this uh, pandemic because I think it really changed the way. Uh, I mean, I know I just said this a little bit ago at the top of this segment. It changed the way the motorcycle industry thinks about how they need to do business. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways uh, from this um, pandemic, you know, that is a positive. 
the off-road segment drived up private sales, wiped out showrooms. So I already talked about that. That was pretty good. Uh, what's this? My side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So theft. And uh, that was down, obviously. More people at home all day long and all night long means less people. There's still brave people, but less people uh, going to go into a public parking lot and try to steal a bike or haven't seen the opportunity while it's out there on the street. So theft was down. Car theft was down. Like, like theft in general was down. People are home and right next to their vehicles. Traffic collisions were obviously down just because there wasn't that many people on the road. This is something uh, that I read, and I'd like to do a percentage because percentages are a little bit more accurate than straight numbers. If there was 20 people on the road and there was 20 car accidents, that's 100%. <laughs> so I think a percentage would be a little bit better way to measure these. And I don't know if that static... Uh, status uh, statistic yeah I don't know if that status status statistic actually came from percentages or just straight numbers but uh, also I wanted to say that there has been better industry shows planned now that people know like they have to be ready for anything and to never let an opportunity pass I don't know if Alicia Alfing would have done the women's motor show at Texas Motor Speedway this year I don't know if the opportunity would have presented itself had she not uh, had a year off to think about, she's. Uh, I remember I, I had private messaged her on Instagram a while back, and I was like, "Hey, here's some places you might be able to have the show still for 2020 if you want to." Uh, or actually, she had it in 2020 at House of Machines in LA, and I said, if, "You know, depending on how long this is going, I know you're already planning for it. Here's some places uh, that you could do it." And. Um, come to find out like she she got it she did it a little bit later in the year she usually does it in the end of january beginning of february but um she waited a few months and got something else in the works and actually had it at an aft round at texas uh, motor speedway and it was amongst it wasn't just her show it was like a whole motorcycle event that she got to be part of so there's better shows like i said ims outdoors i don't know if that would have ever happened um daytona bike week went off this year without a hitch and I think that they you know everybody's missing motorcycles so this year because of the pandemic uh, and lockdowns and all that I think that this year people are going to enjoy more maybe we can hope that spectators and uh, event goers numbers are up um, you know that a lot of more people I know I myself have said in the past that I quit taking advantage of stuff um, because of things happening like hey I want to go see i don't know russ brown uh ride his motorbike or one and russ brown died you know like can't do that anymore so i i had missed a lot of things i missed the um flat track races when they were at pomona for all those years that they came out here and then finally they were like hey we're not gonna have them in pomona and i was like no the finals aren't gonna be in socal anymore a lot of a lot of things i took for granted I said I wasn't going to last year, and, and after last year, I realized I'm still taking stuff for granted. So uh, hopefully it opened your eyes and made you think of all the cool stuff that you missed out on as well. Hopefully you got a new bike or you uh, got a trade in your old... Oh, I said the word. Well, now i got to commit suicide. Tobor, uh, I better go fire up Tobor so I can get him to, to uh, come and finish the rest of the show for us here. Let me see. Deep, beep, deep, beep, deep. Nope, Tobor's offline. If you if you must know, I'll tell you, Tobor's getting a makeover as well. I might be able to play some of his voice later. But uh, anyways, bye, everybody. It's been a good show. 
Um, I've really enjoyed being here. All right, we got a few more things to talk about, so I guess uh, I shouldn't mess around too much. We'll, just, we'll quit talking about this, but uh, in true typical fashion, creative writing fashion, I did want to say, do we need more pandemics? Uh, there were some crazy good stuff that came out of this, so maybe, just maybe, uh, if we have another one, um, hopefully not as crazy or as bad or as politicized or whatever, and, and, Maybe the pandemic will be like money starts raining from the sky. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what qualifies a pandemic. Does it have to be a human disease? Uh, at any rate, um, there are some good and bad that has come out of this, uh, you know, and I just wanted to acknowledge that now that everybody's kind of like, it's not such a trigger word. We've all been writing for a couple months now, and we're all getting out and doing stuff, and I don't know if it even affected some people at all. Um, you know, either you were on top of the world or maybe you were already living under a rock and don't even know that something happened, in which case, nothing happened. We're good. We're cool. Um, but, yeah, so with that, let's move on to our next segment. We're going to take a quick break, actually, too, play a little song here for you, and then come back with the second half of the show. This is a little, little quick thing. We're going to talk about Oregon lane splitting. I'm going to talk about two years of owning the SCR. Uh, we're going to talk about some uh, uh, trips, trip I took. So hopefully we'll be able to wrap it up in a half an hour. If not, you have to listen to more of me blabbing to myself. But anyways, let's take a quick break and uh, come back to some more creative writing right after this. If you can stomach it. If you are a beluga whale. pickle juice to lubricate those tires lubricate the tires are you crazy why yes i am crazy i'm so crazy that i started a podcast all right everybody welcome back this is uh we're gonna round out we're gonna try and finish the last half of the show in a quarter of the time what does that just really make it one quarter yes the last quarter of the show in half the time how's that does that make it five sevens yes all right everybody welcome this is the fourth segment of the show. This is the off-track segment. This is going to be called The Good, The Bad, and The Oregon. And uh, that was going to be the title of this episode. I think I'm going to go with Do We Need More Pandemics. It's a little more clickbaity. But listen listen here, fellas and, and felitas. <laughs> That's Spanish for lady fellas. Um, oh, jeez. I don't want to get into lady fellas. Never mind. So I digress. Let's get back into this. This is, uh, this is the part where I'm crazy and, and nutty anyway. If you, were, if you were a serious person, hopefully you tuned out during the song. And let's talk about this. So the good and bad in Oregon. Recently, on a boys' weekend, yeah, it was me and the boys, and <laughs> not uh, me and the men, I should say. We're getting, we're getting to be old men. Me and the grandpas, uh, we did a little weekend trip, and drop the mic like a hot sucker. Uh, one of my buddies asked me, among other things. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the things he asked me. 
would you start a gentleman's club? And I was like, a gentleman's club? Like, you know, gentleman's, gentleman's club? He's like, no, like a men's club. And I was like, oh, like raise male heterosexual dance hall? He's like, yeah, kind of. No ladies allowed. And I was like, so an adult tree fort is basically what you want to start? Anyway, make a long story short, that's not the motorcycle-related part. The motorcycle-related part is, well, the Oregon-related part. He asked me if, and, and, and <clears throat> to, um, preface this, almost none of the people that I went on my little moto camping trip with, I shouldn't even call it a moto camping trip, I was the only one moto camping, all my other buddies are not really into engines uh, or gearheads or anything like that. One of them knows a little bit about a little bit, but he's a programmer and he's way more into like programming stuff and smoking weed, which we did a lot of. Um, they asked me if I would pay a little extra to have a gas station attendant fill up my car for me, and while they're at it, check the fluids, check the wiper blades, check the air in the tires, you know, yada, yada, yada. I told him no for a few reasons, but I did mention that in Oregon, you're not allowed to pump up your own gas, and that's exactly what the gas station attendants do. So wrap your brain around this. In 2015, it changed a little bit where... Uh, some specific rural counties in Oregon were allowed to do self-serve from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., the 12-hour period where, if you're rural, probably everyone's going to bed because they got to get up early and get on the farm. But uh, they also didn't want to have the residents be stuck in their car from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. waiting for a gas station attendant to come out um, because you got to pay somebody to watch the store and then pay somebody to sit out at the gas pumps all day and in a more rural community where you're not getting that much action, you don't really need two people on staff at the whole time. But then the cashier, who is also the gas station attendant, goes out to fill up the tanks. And some wily kids going into a backwoods store think they can just go shoplift a Mars bar, you know, while the person's out there doing the duty, doing the state uh, legislated rule of pumping a, or, or putting gas in someone's car. Anyway, make a long story short. I know that in 2015, those laws changed a little bit. So just just in the last five years, six years. Um, and it's only 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, otherwise, you do have to have an attendant there. And right after this whole conversation, after I came home and was looking into the specifics to see if I was actually right about what I had told him, and it turns out I was, I learned that New Jersey is also the only other state that has similar laws where you can't pump your own gas. Coming from SoCal, this sounds, this is crazy to me. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine if you had to pump everyone's gas, like every gas station would need 12 attendants on staff at every, it'd be like a one-to-one relationship, at least during certain times of the day. Um, so according to Star Oil Company, Oregon's laws actually started in 1951 and have been on the books ever since. And back then, gas pumps were a little bit more complicated. They didn't have any of the safety shutoff valves or any of the features that they have today. Uh, and it turns out you actually needed to be trained to learn how to operate it properly. And as the years have progressed and, uh... You know, I guess technology, even gas pump technology has progressed. We don't really think about that that much. But when I uh, first started driving here in California, uh, you did have to take out your gas pump. You had to put it into your car, and then you had to flip up this little handle somewhere on the pump to turn it on. And you had to uh, select your grade of gas and then flip on the pump with a manual switch. And it usually was the little area where the gas pump rests on 
you would uh, put the nozzle in your in your filler tube and then flip up that handle where the gas pump was resting so that when you went to put the gas pump back, it would uh, basically, uh, what's it, what am I thinking of? Push the handle thing down, guaranteeing that the gas couldn't pump while the nozzle was sitting there. And the only way to get the nozzle to still pump was to throw it on the floor. I'm pretty sure that they had automatic shutoffs because I didn't sit there at my car and like look in to see where the gas was, keep pumping it up, look in. In the old days, that might you might have had to do that, or the pressure of the gas might have shut the pump off. Like, hey, your tube is full, we can no longer put water into water or liquid into liquid, and it might have had an automatic shutoff valve, but maybe not. And back in the old days, you used to have to pump gas the whole time. Like, you used to have to physically pump it or crank it. I've seen old gas stations that have that sort of stuff when electric pumps um, weren't around at, every, at all of them. So, uh, yeah, you used to have to pump it. You used to have to know probably what the capacity was of each car. You probably didn't top it off exactly you know gas station guy one probably said oh 10 gallons and quit pumping and gas station guy two and oh like this car takes like 12 gallons of the tank or 20 gallons you know and pumped it up to 15 so it, it probably varied nowadays it shuts off when there's a certain amount of pressure and in california you can't even start pumping gas into some motorcycles because the filler tube on the tank is not deep enough in california we have a, a seal around the pump, uh, like tube, the nozzle, and that seal has to touch uh, flush against some sort of. Uh, if you have a car, it's the where the filler tube comes out of your car, that little lip or rim. The seal will go over that, and it's to keep vapor from floating up into the air. California is so crazy about any sort of vapor. Like we're almost gonna ban cows because they fart too much, right? Like. Uh, you know, anything that goes into the air and affects the air quality and pollutes the air, they're all about stopping it. So on motorcycles, when you're pumping them up, most of the time, uh, most gas stations, you actually have to use your fingers and pull back the, uh, there's like a little trigger sensor, kind of like there is like a side stand switch or a brake clutch, you know, brake and clutch lever switch. When you pull it, it doesn't take much, but it does trigger the sensor and says, hey, the brake's on or the clutch is pulled in. So there's just this little tiny switch on most uh, things. And if you're visiting us in California and you can't fill up your gas on your motorbike and you can't figure out why the pump isn't starting, do that. Reach down on the vapor guard thing, pull it back. Yes, we pollute while we're filling up gas here, uh, but pull it back with your fingers and then you have to hold the pump down the whole time you're pumping because if you let go of that it'll shut it off so on on almost all of my motorcycles i have to do that there's only one old school place in town that has the old pumps uh, and now the pumps turn on automatically uh they all they did is those the old levers that you used to have to flip up to turn on the pump they have that screwed down in place so you can't wiggle it around anymore but so the pump has just been retrofitted to work with like some new automatic shutoff valve and automatic start pumping switch uh but that's the only place i can go and stick the nozzle on my bike and like walk away otherwise i'm standing there looking in 
Um, and they still do have shutoff valves where if the fuel hits the bottom of the nozzle for the pump, it'll shut it off so that you don't overfill it. Well, I did the other day. I filled it up. I backed the nozzle out of the liquid a little bit, and I did overflow my, my gas tank just by probably like one cup, so a cup of fuel, uh, eight, eight ounces of fuel, maybe probably less than that. It felt like eight ounces, probably like two ounces of fuel spilled over the top of my tank, and I was like, oh, crap, and I got a rag and wiped it off um, and just left a little tiny puddle on the ground. Um, but that's because I was overriding every safety thing. I was trying to get the max uh, full, and I wasn't looking down into the tank to see how far as getting filled up so me i myself in oregon would have been you know committing a heinous crime um the law if you think about it um the laws that go back in oregon uh, you know not that gas pumps are super complicated nowadays um in california we have all these safety shutoff things maybe they don't in oregon i don't know but if you figure that uh one of the major things in Oregon is that uh, people do still have accidents now in 21. I, I did. I spilled a couple ounces of gas on the ground. Um, that wouldn't have happened in Oregon. I would have been a trained attendant. I would not have uh, spilled any gas. Um, and gas is a class one flammable liquid. So they're kind of like, yeah, listen, you can't just handle this stuff without being trained on it. And most, uh, most adults that drive nowadays don't even know what gas is made of. They don't know what it does. They know you put it in your car and it makes you go, right? That's about all they care to know. They're not gearheads. They don't care about the different grades. They don't even know what road octane number means or, or uh, anti-knock index is, blah, blah, blah. So I get it. And one of the major things, aside from being trained to handle a class one flammable liquid and uh, do a courtesy check of all the cars is you're getting a job. So that is one of the major things in Oregon. They want you to keep your job and that's cool. I, I you know, it's a tradition that you don't need. Um, it's been replaced by technology for a long time, but they still have, they still have it. They still want people to get paid for sitting around a gas station. And uh, what people used to say, whatever McDonald's worker to cut people down, I'm sure they still say whatever gas station attendant because you probably need to know very little to fill up someone's gas. Um, the One of the reasons uh, I did tell my buddy that I wouldn't have them look at my fluids is this. A, I can tell when my wiper blades need to be replaced. They should be replaced every couple of years. Do you want someone telling you that every time you pull in for gas before wintertime? No. In Oregon, do you replace your wiper blades a lot more than normal? Yeah. Would it be cool if someone did it at the gas station for you? I don't know. Would it? You tell me. It takes about five seconds to do, and I feel like you have to tip the people. I don't know if you tip them, but if you do, uh, you're just paying for the price of the blade the blades aren't free so you're paying for the blade and then you're watching some dude do what you could do in five seconds it takes away some of that joy that you have of changing your own wiper blades feeling like you did something so i wouldn't do that plus they top off your fluids and my wife's nissan rogue a couple years ago a few years ago now um had this problem where a technical service bulletin came out of the factory saying hey the tranny coolers on this thing are having a problem. They use 6.2 units of tranny fluid, whatever a unit is, I know it's not quart, but 6.2 units of tranny fluid. Um, and what's happening is there's not enough space for it to expand when it gets hot. And even when it goes, even when you have a tranny cooler installed, um, that will help. But most of those cars don't have tranny coolers. It's like a, after, it's an afterthought, you know, an aftermarket accessory, um, or it came on the newer, the next model year. So this certain years don't have tranny coolers equipped. So the 
tranny fluid is going to get hot and expand and turn into froth because there's nowhere for it to go. It just froths. It boils, basically. There's nowhere for it to ex expand to. So you should only put like uh, 5.9, not 6.2. Use three units less. It'll, it'll allow it to heat up and not froth and bubble. It'll give it just enough like air in there or something, I guess, to keep it spaced out and cool. When we took it to Jiffy Tune to change the oil, only the oil, that's all we wanted changed. And and I didn't bother changing. I do my own stuff, but I won't do my wife's car because if something's messed up, I don't want to be the one that, trust me, you don't want my wife yelling at you. She's a teacher. So I said, listen, I'm not going to change your oil. I'm not going to do your brakes. I'm not going to do anything but change your wiper blades for you because I don't want you to hold me personally liable like you can scream at someone else all you want but i don't want that being me so uh long story short um whenever we take it to jiffy tune they would do us the uh courtesy of topping off all the fluids and guess what they would put in 6.2 they'd see that it was at 5.8 and they'd put in 6.2 and then it would froth up again. Long story short, we didn't know that it only took that much until like it happened to us many times. We're driving down to San Diego with our babies in the car. Uh, you know, our kids were super young at that time and the car would bog down and just quit moving. And we're on the freeway on the quote 15, Interstate 15, and people are doing 90 miles an hour out there in no man's land where there's like no cops and no houses. And we're doing 40 on the freeway because the car is like bogging down and dying. And we'd pull over, we'd shut it off, we'd wait a while, we'd turn it back on, it'd let us do 60. And then eventually 10 minutes later, it'd start bogging and doing 40. When you're doing 40 and there's diesels doing 70, it's a scary thing. You know, even in the slow lane, you're gonna get rear-ended by this thousands of pound uh, semi-trailer, right? So uh, it was dangerous. It was putting our lives in danger every time it happened. And we only put it together once we finally were like gonna turn the car in and the guy at the uh, service center down in, in uh, El Cajon, California, I gotta tell the, give props to the guy, I think his name was Isaac down there at uh, Nissan of El Cajon. Um, he was like, listen, there's a TSB. This thing's only supposed to have X amount of fluid in it. And the only way that this is gonna fix it, we should put a tranny cooler on there. I'll do it for no cost for you. Um, and we live in LA, but we're gonna be down there for Mother's Day or whatever it was. And he's like, yeah, just bring it by and we'll put it in at no cost. This is uh, gonna be cost you constant headaches and problems. And Jiffy Tune doesn't have the technical service bulletin. So that's why when we would take it to the dealership, they would check the, all the fluids and they would fix it. And then when you take it to Jiffy Tune, you know, $29 oil change rather than like $100 oil change, they would refill all the fluids. And so that's one of the reasons I told my buddy, I would not like to live in a place like Oregon, or I wouldn't pay extra to have them do all the stuff, because sure, they're gonna check the air in the tires. You should do, be doing that anyway. Sure, they're gonna check your oil. You should be doing that anyway. And sure, they're gonna check your wiper fluid and tranny fluid and all that. And they're gonna top off anything that's low. How do they know? How is a gas station attendant going to know if Jiffy Tune is not even checking? I'm sorry, not Jiffy Tune. Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Tune is our great friend Eric Stahl who tunes uh, <laughs> motorcycles. Jiffy Lube. Uh, you know, how is this place that gives you $29 um, oil changes that they're not looking at TSBs? The regular gas station attendant guy is going to know to, you know, not top off your tranny food. So at any rate, make a long story short, that's another reason I said Oregon, 
I would rather do all that stuff myself. When I want gas, I just want gas. I usually want to get back on the road. Could you imagine me trying to do like an iron butt or like a cannonball? It's no wonder that cannonballs don't start or stop in Oregon. And it's because if you have to stop to have your own gas pump for you, you're screwed. And that's why those guys carry extra big gas tanks when they're traveling through New Jersey into New York. So they don't have to stop right before they're at the finish line to have some gas station attendant come out and fill up all their stuff and check all their fluids and then get a $5 tip and then go on their way. So, uh, yeah. In addition, in addition to not being able to pump your own gas in Oregon, uh, you cannot lane split either. So, uh, this is a point of contention. The uh, Oregon Senate Bill 574 was passed through the state uh, Congress. I think it's the state Senate that it passed. Um, it was, here I have the article open right here. I just wanted to share this with you a little bit. Um, on laneshareoregon.com, uh, it said Senate Bill 574 passed full Senate and House uh, votes with a three to one and and bipartisan majorities in both. So Democrats and Republicans coming together to get this thing passed. It received written support from 600 Oregon motorcyclists. It says over 600. Um, It was endorsed by uh, businesses and organizations, and it got a do-pass recommendation from the Joint Committee on Transportation. All of this according to LaneShareOregon.com. But the governor vetoed the bill on May 26th just a week after the Motorcycles Podcasters Challenge end and right before the end of Motorcycle Awareness Month, citing a bunch of things, including non-compliance and enforcement. How is the state going to get their money if people do filter? You know, we're just opening the door for hooligans and miscreants. So, despite the setback, in 2023, uh, they... Actually, I saw... uh, I was reading something that said they're going to try and get it back on the bill for 2021 on the legislative session. Um, and it needs your help to get in the law. Senate bill, blah, blah, blah. Maybe this was just um, beforehand. The, uh, right below where it says it didn't pass, they're saying that Senate bill 574 for the 2021 legislative session needs to get passed. So I thought that maybe they're going to try and redo it, re-up it. But they tried once. Um, they tried House bill... 2314 back in 2019 and of course that started to go through the process the pandemic kind of put a kibosh on there but 2314 also had widespread support and uh, bipartisan um you know past you know interest and this and that uh but i i think that the pandemic put it um put it to bed but also uh this is crazy. So so some of the insights, I just want to go, I, I don't want to talk about this too long. I just want to tell you that it sucks that it didn't pass. Sounds like they're trying to get it back on the books in the 2023 session. Um, but talking about lane sharing, here's what some people say. Uh, safety. I always remind riders that lane sharing is optional. If you don't want to, you don't have to. I ride in California and lane split, but not all the time. And some people think motorcyclists are crazy, but we want to get home in one piece just like everyone else. So I don't know. It doesn't. It's an anonymous comment on this uh, page. And I have to admit, yes, I don't even always split here. Sometimes if you can't split, don't, f- you know, if you don't fit, don't split. That's the uh, one rule. And there's a lot of times where the streets are too narrow around here that I don't split. Or it's a one lane and I you can't really sh- lane split on one. There's no lanes to split. Um, Motorcyclists on a freeway that stopped with both feet down 
is really practically a pedestrian and really a sitting duck. And I love that comment too. Whenever I have to come to a stop, whether it's like on um, in the city, I never, I never have to come to a stop on the freeway. I always lane split. But uh, I have had to stop one time. Uh, freeway lanes were really narrow on the 101 going through downtown. And sometimes, yeah, you can't fit, especially on my SCR. It's the widest bike I own and have owned. Uh, nah, one of the widest bikes I've owned. Um, and yeah, there's times where you can't fit. And when you're sitting there, you just feel the hair on your neck raise like you're going to get rear-ended at any time. So even now when I stop at, at, on a street, even if it's a one-lane street and I'm going in one direction, I go off to the side uh, where I, if somebody's going to rear-end a car, they're not going to hit me in between it. You know what I'm saying? That's the worst feeling. And, and, and there's certain situations where you can't do that. You have to sit behind the car. And I'm just checking my mirrors nervously the whole time. It's the worst feeling in the world to feel like you're trapped between two 5,000-pound death machines. And all it takes is some person looking down to see if they're going the right way on their navigation tool or trying to switch their iPhone music or take a call or text or something to smash you, right? So being in between cars, even if you can't split, even if you're not allowed to split lanes where you live, just go stop between the lanes. If you're moving down like a major boulevard with two lanes of traffic, scoot onto the line and you'll see what I'm talking about. If someone's going to rear end somebody, they're likely going to do it head on and not over to the side where you're, where you're at. Uh, also, uh, I didn't ever think about that. that. Yeah, when you're on the freeway and you have both feet down, you're a pedestrian at that point. Remove a car from a, a you know, from a driver, that's ridiculous to say. Motorcyclists, we literally do interact with the free, with the pavement if we're not moving. So always keeping uh, in motion helps you stay up. We, we rely on gyroscopic effect to stay upright, period, on two wheels. And also we become a pedestrian if we're like basically walking on the freeway. That is ridiculous. So it gave an opportunity to take care of that. Um, and I'm sad that it didn't pass. One of the other things here that I really like to say, lane sharing is dangerous. Hell, driving is dangerous. And that's what it says. Walking down the street is dangerous. Life is dangerous. So that's, you know, a good point. Where was the one? Um, here it is, right here, fairness. This is what I thought was interesting is fairness. I used to commute uh, from blah, blah, blah to blah, 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 Portland on Highway 26, stuck in traffic an hour each way. I used to watch the Max train whiz by, and I didn't think it was unfair that the Max riders weren't stuck in traffic like me. After all, I'm the one who decided to drive rather than take the train. So that's one way to think about it. Yeah, when you're, when you're thinking about fairness, you're not thinking about all the people in the carpool lane getting to go by are you like they don't oh it's so unfair that if you have two people you can go hey carpool with people get more people in your car and more people moving in one less vehicle you know it promotes uh cleaner air because you don't have four cars on the road you got four people in one car plus there's less traffic and it's easier to navigate that's why they were rewarded with that stuff and that's why motorcycles are allowed to be in the carpool or high occupancy vehicle lane nationwide we're taking up way less space and, hot and making less traffic. Anyway, the fairness thing, that's one thing. When you see the train whizzing by, we have that here in, in L.A. The train goes down the center of the freeway. Uh, the metro does. There's lots of HOV lanes. There's like some, some freeways have like five HOV lanes and then five regular lanes. And the HOV lanes are always empty. Why? 
there's so many of them and there's so few people using them. Like, I can't believe people commute like one to one here. Just ride a motorcycle, dum dum. Um, and that's what someone else said in one of these other things. Ride a motorcycle. If you if you think it's unfair, right here, you're not stuck in traffic. You are the traffic. There's nothing stopping you from riding a motorcycle or a scooter, and then you could help reduce congestion by lane sharing yourself. I appreciate that you may need to drive sometimes. I myself drive every few days when I need to pick up the kids go to or go to Fred Meyer. I don't know what Fred Meyer is. But just because I'm stuck in the car doesn't mean motorcycles should be stuck with me in traffic, too. They aren't cars. They're more than bicycles or light rail trains or cars. It doesn't make sense to regulate, regulate them like cars. So that's another great thing I thought, too. This, a lot of stuff that in California we don't even worry about because uh, we can lane share. And I just also wanted to put a, a fine point on this, that in California, if it's not illegal... If it's not written down, it's not illegal. Um, you can do whatever you want here, as long as there's no law saying that it's explicitly illegal. And I was telling my buddy about this. A lot of people think California is a commie state. Actually, we're pretty... We're like we're like a combo, like libertarian slash commie state. <laughs> because if it's not written down, you can do it. It has to be written down saying you can't do it. That's why motorcycle lane splitting was is, is legal and has been for so long in California because there's no laws saying that you can't. People were just looking for some sort of guidelines or codification. And what got legalized in California wasn't even lane sharing. It was they legalized, they put into effect uh, a law that said, hey, as the people who are going to enforce this, which is another reason why it didn't pass in Oregon, they were scared about enforcement, as the people who are going to enforce it, we give the highway patrol, which is the state police, the ability to regulate this and 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 not regulate it, but um, codify this and say what the guidelines are. So it didn't even legalize lane splitting. Lane spl splitting was always legal in California. What it did was say, hey, California Highway Patrol, as the state police and enforcement agency, why don't you, you now have the authority to lay down a few guidelines of what you're looking for when people are lane splitting. And so it neither made it more or less legal or illegal. It just gave the California Highway Patrol a chance to uh, codify it and say, well, this is what lane splitting should look like. And it doesn't it doesn't make it illegal because there are there is no law saying that if you were going 70 while you're lane splitting when traffic is doing zero that it's against the law. All it says is these this is a guideline. Don't do 15 miles an hour over what traffic is doing. So if it's traffic is stopped and you're doing 15 miles an hour, it's kind of like driving down an alley. The speed limit for alleys, which is a law, is 15 miles per hour in California. And you figure if you're driving down a really narrow street and some dog or some little kid or somebody opening a garage door and throwing uh, a tr trash can in anger because, uh, you know, it's full of, <laughs> I don't know, clothes that they, they want to get rid of. If someone's going to be doing that and you're doing 30 down an alley, you're going to get hit, right? So the I, I see why the rule is 15 miles an hour. It kind of makes sense. You are going down a very, the world's most dangerous alley when you're lane splitting. Do I always stay at 50 miles an hour? No, it's a guideline. Um, sometimes, and it's supposed to be when cars are going over a certain mile an hour. Uh, so if you're doing the speed limit, you're doing the speed limit. And then if cars start to slow down before the speed limit or lower than the speed limit, 
then you can lane split up to the speed limit. Do I always do that? No, it's weird. Sometimes cars will get over when you're cruising at 75, and I'm like, no, dude, I'm just cruising. I'm just close to you because, like, when traffic does slow down, I'm going to go around you. But they'll move over, and I feel obligated to pass them at 90 miles an hour and give the thanks fingers, like, hey, thanks, or thumbs up, or whatever, because they were courteous enough to get over for me. And then they're baffled when I get in front of them and then just do, like, you know... Uh, uh, two miles an hour faster than they were already going. I just feel obligated to pass them if they're going to give me the room and they're trying to do, do the courteous thing and they think they're, maybe they think I'm riding their ass, whatever it is. So, yeah, I don't always lane split uh, uh, way over or way under the uh, the guidelines, but the guidelines are there and they are just that, the guidelines. They're not vehicle code, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, as long as you're not breaking the speed limit, you can lane split at whatever speed you want. As long as you're not going faster than the uh, posted speed limit, the other things are just a guideline. Is it stupid too? Yeah. I don't lane split very fast all the time, but like when stuff is at a dead stop, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to dodge out of the way at 65 if all of a sudden I see a mirror three quarters of a mile ahead of me. Uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to... You can't swerve. You're in between cars. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's a funny thing. It's a, it's a crazy thing. I think people think of, when they think of lane splitting, the most maniacal possible um, situations. You know what I'm saying? So they just they vetoed it, and uh, that's that. There's a few more things I want to talk about, but this show is already go going way too long. Um, so what I will share really quickly uh, as we wrap up the show here is the good, the bad, and the Oregon. The, 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 the Oregon part of it is, hey, here in California, Oregon, here's how we do it. I just explained how I lane split. There's guidelines. And it sounds like yours would be an actual traffic code and law that you would need to be enforced, and that's why you're worried about it. So I get it. Whatever. Hopefully they are able to pass this. Oregon's tried to pass lane splitting and sharing a few times. When I'm lane splitting and lane sharing, there's one thing I have to say. Everybody's poo-poos a lot of times technology and technology upgrades and cars are getting cameras everywhere and, oh, God, it's, we're becoming nannied. One thing I can tell you is that when I'm lane splitting past, like, a 2008 or 2009 uh, Ford Explorer, it is, uh, and they're kind of riding the line, and I'm not sure if they're riding the line because they're going to be coming over when I'm right next to them. Um, one thing I do have to say is that hurrah for all the lane splitting technology. Ford, I know I mentioned in Explorer, Ford is one of the few companies that actually has lane splitting technology on their cars. They were working on it a little while ago, and I think it's out. And I'm not 100% sure what happens, but there's a haptic. I don't own a Ford, so I don't know what it looks like. But apparently, there was a lane-sharing technology that they had that would alert the driver that you have a motorcycle. And obviously, Ford being a global company, this is more important for every other country that they sell in than the United States. But it is nice to know that. And even when I'm not splitting, even when I'm just riding in a lane, and I see people's lights light up on their mirrors, that's a new technology. Mentioning like a, a 2006 or 2008 or 2010 uh, vehicle, I don't know when those light mirrors became uh, mandatory because my, my wife has a 2017 Honda and hers doesn't have that little mirror thing that lights up. So I don't even know if it's mandatory, but it is nice when you're driving next to a car, I have to say, and you see that thing light up because motorcyclists being smaller than everybody else are notoriously uh, 
invisible. They, we, we get in the blind spots. Uh, when you're splitting lanes, people don't know you're coming. People don't look a lot of times when they switch lanes. And people all the time, I just saw this recently, uh, this last few weeks that I've been riding a whole bunch and during the Motorcycle Podcasters Challenge, hit quite a bit of traffic. And even my trip out of town for Memorial Day last weekend, a uh, lot of traffic. And so I did a lot of lane splitting to and fro. Um, and lots of those little lights on the mirrors lighten up. Lots of people switching over into the carpool lane too. Uh, I know that I don't have to tell you if you live in a state with, with carpool or high occupancy vehicle lanes, people don't care that it's double yellow. They'll cross over it at any time, right? I think I've even done it myself. I'm guilty of it. And they don't look. So they, they, they see a hole. They need to get in there. They're not looking for motorcyclists splitting, even here in California. So that is something that happened to me a few times. People switching back and forth between lanes um, over the double yellows. And so just be careful. And if you see that light light up on the mirror, there was a couple times where people were going to get over and they looked and saw that light well before they saw me and they didn't get over they, they jumped back real fast and I just love that technology or I was already in there if they would have got over I was at their quarter panel you know or rear door and if they got over they would have banged into me and they saw the light and they kind of like I could see that they were looking and they saw the light and they didn't they didn't merge and then I sped up a little bit to go by them and uh, so yeah, the, the light on those mirrors, man, being in a state where you can lane split, it's just nice knowing that people, even if they don't pay attention to it, at least they know you're there. And uh, so that that is kind of comforting to know that there's technology coming out to protect us in the, in the uh, case of lane splitting. And, and one day when vehicles, when the V2V infrastructure is laid out and vehicles are communicating with each other, they'll hopefully be... That's one of the things I hope to see coming on motorcycles pretty soon is a chip that's telling other vehicles where you are. And hopefully, um, I know I know it's still getting developed at this time, but hopefully that's one of the things that's going to come out and be uh, um, a lifesaver. And maybe more states will allow lane splitting if that's what they're worried about, people getting smashed, um, ironically, because that's the most safe place you can be. All right, everybody, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Jeez, long episode. Hope you uh, split it up this week, maybe split it in two. Um, have a great week. Hope you get out there and ride. Let me know what's coming up. Call us to action. Please submit something for Solstice Slam. I know that it's in 15 days. I know that you don't want to hear just a bunch of crappy music. Again, where you can submit your story is creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com or slam at creative-writing.com. And with that, take it easy. I'm going to waste no more of your time. Once you get out there and ride and ranch or do whatever you're going to do, keep the greasy side inside and the metal side on all sides. All right.